All right, what is this hot shot? I think it's episode 146. 146. Yes. Yeah. It's not like you to forget an episode well, number, so. I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit punch drunk. Okay. Is that what they call somebody who's gotten hit a lot? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Punch drunk. Trevor yeah. Burbick. Oh, uh, that comes to mind. Maybe the most infamous. Tommy Hearns against Marvin Hagler doing the walk. Yeah, yeah. Remember the walk that Tommy Hearns used to do every fight that he got hurt? He'd do the walk <laughs> around the ring. I'm a little bit Tommy Hearns, yeah. Trevor Burbick. Okay, from... Well, the reaction has been swift and powerful and one-sided to my story from episode 145. So oh, let's get this out of the way. That's I don't right. I, I don't want people to think, oh, Mitch only reads the emails where he's credited or he, he only takes shots at Hotshot Scott. Yeah. I want everybody to understand what the tenor of my email, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, yeah. has been this past week. And everyone know these are listeners. These are fans that are writing it. <laughs> you were right the first time. Okay, gotcha. Listeners. <laughs> Fine. Mitch, I absolutely love the pod, but that Costco stunt from last week's show was nothing but cruel. Sorry, dude. No one was laughing. How many of these do you want, by the way? Because I could go probably 40 deep if you'd like. Mitch at Mitch Unfiltered. I got three. I think the three or four that I've got pretty much tell the story of what the tenor of my email inbox has been like since I told the story last week. You can go 40 deep with that tone of not funny at all. Oh, there's no other tone. (laughs) Really? Bob Bob from San Diego, uh, re-episode 145. Mitch, your Costco fun fell flat on its face. No bueno. Ooh. Says Bob in San Diego. Uh, Mitch, all you had to do was tell the nice lady that you were just pulling your leg. Your assumption that she realized it by the tone of your voice made an ass out of you and you. (laughs) Debbie in Issaquah. Uh, there you go. Uh, maybe you know Debbie. Oh, yeah. Maybe she's got a daughter on one of your uh, one Piper's team. That's right. Dan Rees writes, hello, Mitch. My two cents on your Costco behavior is that it was totally inappropriate, mean-spirited, and juvenile. Especially in these COVID times, there's already plenty of stress to all of us. And your cute prank, in quotes, <laughs> serves no purpose other than your apparent fragile ego. That's a little harsh. I do ask that you can seriously consider your inappropriate behavior at Costco and see if you really want to continue being that asshole. Unfiltered does not mean disrespectful, mean, and rude. Okay. From Dan Rees, R-E-E-S. All right. You didn't get naked and run around a pizza <laughs> hut. I mean, it's not that inappropriate. I mean, God, it's a little, it's a little harsh. I mean, come on. Inappropriate, mean-spirited, and juvenile. I'm just glad I completely agreed with all of that when you first asked me about it. I'm on the right side of this. So I'm, I'm yelling, mercy, uncle, what's oh. the little things we played as a kid? Oh, uncle. When yeah. you did this and somebody would, you know, you put your hands together. Oh, mercy, yeah, yeah. Oh. Do you remember that one where you mercy. do both hands at the same time and see who could bend oh, each yeah, other? Yeah, that's right. And you, what did you yell when you wanted to give oh, up? Oh, mercy, yeah, mercy. Yeah. I thought it was uncle. Okay, I, mercy. Well, I think uncle was when they put your arm behind you or like yeah. a little police lock. Whatever it is, I'm yelling it. <laughs> okay, good. I lose. I apologize. It was a poor attempt. I was bored. I thought it was fun. I was trying to be fun, funny and fun. I I missed wide right. Okay. (laughs) Call me Scotty Norwood. Right. All right. I understand. I've gotten all the emails. If you want to pile on Mitch, I read them all. Yeah. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. But I get it. It was in bad taste during these COVID times. And I, if the lady is listening, I heartily apologize for my behavior. 
No, it, can you imagine what the tone of these emails would have been if I actually made her go to the back of the line? Oh, yeah. And she went to the back of the line? <laughs> right. They're, I would have had to kill you for that I one. think Mitch Unfiltered would cease to exist at that point. <laughs> right. All the patrons would cash out. <laughs> yes. They'd, they'd put their chips in the middle of the table. <laughs> Party's over. Anyway, so. Well, let that be a lesson to you on having fun. Okay? No well, more having I, fun at Costco and other people's I expense. thought it was... Uh, yeah, okay. all right, I know. We've, we've gone over it. Somebody wrote, another emailer said, what if it were your wife who that happened? What if you found your wife in Costco and she said that what exactly what you did to that woman, someone did to her? How would you feel yeah. about that? And I was like, is it terrible to say not bad? I would have laughed. <laughs> yeah. If, especially if she didn't get placed in the back of the line, if it was just a little, you know... Well, anyway, I think the whole people are right. And I said it, too, on the whole COVID thing. Everyone's everyone's at red on their, you know, yeah, code or, red. Yeah, well, they, everyone's running red on, on their RPMs. Yeah, they're already but there. Don't we need a little joking, a little frivolous behavior or whatever you want to yeah, call it? Don't we, we need a little of this? We do. And had you let her in on the joke, that okay. would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that would have fallen under the category of, oh, yes, shit. we do need some jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Next. Those of you that don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the start of 145. I thought I was being funny. In Costco, at a return, in a return uh, line. Okay. It wasn't funny. I blew it. I apologize. It's, I will never do that one again. I promise. It's not my style to throw stones because I've uh, often tried to be funny and missed. So I'm right there with you, buddy. I've I think I'm an expert at that, by the way. <laughs> really? Episode 146, in the wake of Father's Day weekend. Yes. How did the dad of multi-sports star Piper Soden enjoy his day back on, on Sunday? Oh, boy, it was busy. I got woken up at 8 a.m. with my daughter in her full uniform, ready really? to go for Let's a, go, Dad. a noon game. Noon game. Did you not know? Well, it's 8 o'clock. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> the game's at noon. She was. She's never played All-Stars. We so nervous. Oh, the All-Stars. Nerves. Yeah, it's her first All-Star game ever. The real tournament? Yes, the real thing started. Okay, what, t- it started on Sunday or earlier in the weekend, or when did it? Give me the update. It started Saturday for I other, like Little League updates. It started on Saturday for other teams. In fact, all right, she got a buy. They got a buy, and I, I went to watch Sammamish versus Kirkland, and our our patron friend Dan was there because his daughter. Now Piper, you're now you're going to other games to to like scout other teams. Well, the coach. What the hell? The coach. You haven't seen enough. Well, you don't go to enough youth sports with Piper. You got to go to other teams. Games. They were playing the winner, so the coach wanted all as many kids who could go. Okay. Because so they, she went. So yeah, they're yeah. playing the way. They just okay. hung out. So okay. So give me the update. So Sunday. Yeah. It's two to two. District like District nine. Nine. That's nine. right. Yeah. 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 Sure. Nice one. I've been around the corner. It's it's two to two versus Kirkland. Yeah. Piper get comes in. She doesn't start, so she's pinch hitting. Yeah. All right. Zero oh and two. On Piper, there's runners on second and third. What's the score? Two to two, two outs, second and third. Bam! Right into right field for a single, scoring both on from second and third. I know. I, I, and I was the PA announcer. You were the PA. Okay, now this is gone. To, <laughs> so, now you've gone too far. So I, I first you're going to other teams' games. Now you're the PA announcer. Did you th- throw in a couple between innings plugs for Mitch Unfiltered? I know. I By the way, have. catch Mitch Unfiltered episode 146 when Mitch apologizes for his previous <laughs> behavior here in Issaquah. Yeah. I got to tell you, I'm one of the all-time great PA announcers. Apparently, I was asked really? to do a game the next day for a, a team that I don't even know. They wanted me to come back, and the guy yeah. says, "I'll buy you a hamburger." So now I'm, I'm officially well, working this actually for, for brings, burgers. This actually brings... All right, so finish your story. And well, I'll anyway, tell you, so, this brings up actually a story of me being asked just recently to be a PA announcer for the uh, 
for a uh, a tournament of little leaguers. Nice. My son was not playing it. I think because we worked in radio. Yes. Like, did you yes. ever get asked to like DJ a wedding? Yes. I used to always get that too. Yes. It's like I don't own a PA. I've asked system. to. Co- I've been asked to come to weddings. Oh, like as a just like a like a celebrity guest. <laughs> that my 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 husband my husband to be has listened to you since the beginning. It would mean the world to him if you came to our reception. Have you done it? No. <laughs> Have I done it? You should do it. It would mean no, a lot to the no, guy. No, nobody asks anymore. Oh, okay. Now gotcha. I'm the guy that everybody pretends they don't know. <laughs> right. And back in the day, I was asked. So Piper okay. drove in two to yep, go up four to two. two. They win five to two. Okay, and that's the first game of first the game, yes. double elimination. Correct. Are they the faves to win this thing? They are not. Okay. That, that would be the, uh, the, so the, the hated Redmond team. Oh, so now they're in the winner's bracket. Yes. How many they got to win approximately to win District 9? Uh, and go, that would take them to the state, right? That would take them regional. to the state. Yeah. Oh, state. state. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, state yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, I've been around the corner. Yeah, you have a little bit. I've been around the block. But this Redmond team they're up against is they, that's the next game. Yeah, we, we watched that Redmond team on Saturday. They won fifteen nothing, and and it it's mercy. Like it, they called the game at the fourth oh, inning. Oh, so you're not getting by that team. No, nah, they're not getting by. In fact, when is that game? It is on Tuesday oh, night. I might have to show up. But if I'm a line to buy tickets, yeah. Uh, Don't mess with anyone. Just leave no, no, I, no, ma'am. You stepped out to, to look into the field. <laughs> right. Uh, so big win, big big Father's Day. Lots of softball yeah. going on. So that that was fun. So yeah, I'm at I'm at Brett's one of Brett's uh, high school basketball games. He's in high school now. They're playing. They're playing during the season. This is a couple of months ago. It feels like a couple of months ago. And I'm just hanging out, waiting during warm-ups to play. And one of the fathers of a player on Brett's team, okay. who I know very well, and he's a great guy, and he's terrific and generous, and his kid is friends with my kid. He comes up to me and he says, I've been meaning to ask you a favor. Oh, boy. <laughs> what do you think when you hear that? <laughs> Why did I come out of the room? Exactly. <laughs> You're back under the desk. <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you a small... I think he even said a small favor. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, what is he going to ask me? And right then and there, I start tuning him out and I am start thinking... I am start predicting in my mind, yeah. what, what is he going to ask me to do? It turns out he is the chairman, Grand Poobah, of this little league, the little league that, that Brett played in coming up. Now Brett's in high school. Yeah. And... He wants a um, a PA announcer for Saturday's couple of oh yeah for each I guess they're gonna have each grades championship game on a certain Saturday. This has gone back. Gotcha. Like they'll have a nine U championship game followed by a ten U championship game. It's all on Saturday at one place, okay. and he'd like me to be the PA announcer for all the games. <laughs> okay, this is the small favor. My I have no kids involved. Yeah. The last thing I need to do is go to Little League Baseball with none of my kids involved, right. and he wants me to be the PA announcer of every game. I'm like, how long are we talking about? He's uh, like, you know, five hours, six hours. <laughs> Small favor. <laughs> yeah, it, it is weird that people So now look at I got to come up with an idea. So I go back to my wife, and I said, you know, I, I, I got to come up with an excuse. I yeah. mean, I can't do this. And she says, well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving to go back to D.C. My, my plane is that morning. Oh. I'm like... Oh, beautiful. Oh, pennies from heaven. <laughs> anyway, and, and who says that I would even be a good PA announcer? Well, exactly. Like, who says Just I'd be because a good... I did a radio show for 25 right. years. Doesn't make me a good PA announcer. You want me to DJ your wedding? 
What do you think? I have turntables and a microphone? Well, you did work for Cube. Uh, again, I don't uh, do that. You're uh, one of them now. You think I can DJ weddings? What do I know about that crap? Uh, but anyway, I, I couldn't say no to the PA job. I mean, because well, your your daughter's playing. Well, that that's okay. a big. You're I mean, going to be there anyway. The amount of hours point. the head coach puts in, I'm going to tell him no, so I yeah. can sit on my ass. God. <laughs> but it was fun. It was. I didn't mind uh, doing it. The the if you could if you could just measure if you had an internal an internal measuring stick of Mitch's anxiety, <laughs> if you could watch like the the little needle go back and forth yeah, in, yeah. A, in a given day. And you could measure what if you could stop time when he said, "I have I've been meaning to ask you for a small favor at a gym watching." I pegged. Oh my god! You, people would ask, well, "Why is it that you're so anti?" I mean, what what, yeah. what, is, your, what is your problem? Come on out, whatever. Yeah. Why do you I get why do you hide? I'm like, oh, I know. This is exactly the reason. Yep, exactly. Anyway, wait, we're in the teens, anyway. I think still. Are we? Yeah. So what did you do for father? So that's all you did for Father's Day? That's no lunch, it. no dinner, no nothing? Um, after the game, no, we had no a special time. We had a little food with uh, Grandpa. I was in from Arizona. So that was nice. Oh, that yeah. is nice. He came to watch the game and, and saw Piper's hit and the whole thing. Okay. So it was a, it was a fun okay. fun day. Okay. How about you guys? Did you guys have any Well, we, do, we, didn't, we, didn't, we, don't, do, we don't go crazy. They, they wanted to go. We went to lunch. Have you ever been to Newcastle Golf Club? Oh, sure. Have you to of eat? Course, you betcha. Like on the... Are you being serious? No, no, I have it. Yeah, for like the a porch, wedding. Yeah, yeah, it's very you know, nice. It overlooks the whole world. Great it's view. like a top the world. Yeah. So they have they have a hell of a cheeseburger. I had a hell of a cheeseburger. They got one of the best cheeseburgers in town. Okay. If you're ever in the Newcastle area, you ever want a lunch over like on a nice day overlooking, you can see all of Bellevue, all of Seattle. Yeah. Order a cheeseburger at the Newcastle. I think it's called the Calcutta Grill. Okay. Order yourself a cheeseburger and thank me later. Nice. I just sit and look, and that's so that's what I did. I had my I didn't have my oldest because. He's working at Daniel's now. He's busting tables at Daniel's. He Max, is. yeah, for the summer. Good for him. Yeah, dresses up in a tie every oh. every day. So I didn't have him, but I had my my youngest, and I had my nephew. My brother's son, my nephew, works for Microsoft. That's now. right. Yeah, and so he came along. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. Yeah, now, that does, was a nice time. It was a nice time. I'm focusing on Max's tie that he has to wear every day. Does he does he loosen it and slide it over his head and yeah, then I, put it back I, on? I don't want to out him. I don't want to out. Well, him. I, I waited. Tables he's not ready that. for that world yet. He's well, still he's he's a young 19. Not ready for that. the for the tie tying world? of the tie and of getting all, and, and catching all the belt loops. He kind of misses belt loops <laughs> and. Yeah, okay. I, I don't, but I don't yeah. want to throw him under the gotcha, bus. He's gotcha. my son. Yeah, sure. And it's you know it's Father's Day, and I love my son. But we were all a mess. But at he, 19. Oh, he, he yeah. a mess. He throws the tie in the hamper. Okay, <laughs> he thinks the tie. He thinks we should be wa- throwing the tie in the wash. Yeah, not quite there yet. Okay, he's gotcha. not quite there yet. I mean, he's not ready for Wall Street just yet. I'm not great at a tie to this day. Radio did not help that, did it? We weren't tying double Windsors every day for the morning show. Well, when I heard he went on his first day and he hadn't had, he didn't have the tie here. It was his first day at work at yeah. Daniels, and he came back. He said, "I had to wear a tie." I'm like, I felt terrible for him because he's 19. I don't know how many 19 year olds know how to tie a tie. I guess most 19 year olds probably do. I would say most don't. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, good for him do, yeah. because I say, I said, "What happened? How'd you? What'd you do?" He said, "A hostess." Ah, tie by tie. It's a good move. So I expected every time I offered in the last two or three days him to say, no, 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 I got this. I'll have a hostess to it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> He's thinking. Oh, 146 episodes. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. One to five stars. I got a good one. I'll let it go for later since we've gone too long on the tease uh, already. Let me give you the guests on episode 146. Can I do that? Okay. A former Seahawk player that I had never heard of. I kid you not. Okay. 
a guy who played for a cup of coffee with the Seahawks. He was actually drafted by the Rams, Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last player picked in one of the drafts, number 252. His story is an interesting one. He played for the Rams and then a minute for the Seahawks. Then he was out of football. He became addicted to opioids and and um, painkillers. Sure. I guess that's the same opiates, thing. Opiates, opioids, yeah. What do you call it, opiates? Well, there's opioids and opiates. Oh, yeah, see, it's I, don't all, know, I don't know which one. I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know which one. I think it's all, it's essentially the same. I think one's artificial and one. Anyway. It nearly yeah. committed suicide. Oh, boy. Uh, got cleaned up, opened up a gym in Dallas to train other players. And then he came across, his life changed when he came across a quadruple amputee war veteran. Oh. And he started to train him. He started to get him back into into working out. And that changed his life. And now he dedicates his life and his gym in Dallas to helping disabled veterans and other victims of crippling physical trauma. Glad people like that exist. Former I mean, honestly, football player doing the Lord's and he work. Was at, he was, he, as he would say, he was at rock bottom and almost dead when he was a member of the Seahawks. Wow. So you'll hear his story. Uh, guest number two, David Sampson, is a former president, a former outspoken president of the Miami Marlins and the Montreal Expos when they were in Montreal. He always got himself in trouble with his mouth. He was completely unfiltered. <laughs> and outspoken and always in trouble with the league because some of the things that he would say in the media and on radio stations. And now he's out. Now he's he was fired by Derek Jeter when Jeter took over the Marlins. Oh. And now he's become one of us, a media guy, a podcast guy. And now he's just freewheeling and everybody loves him. He's letting it fly now. Oh, he doesn't have any. <laughs> so I Can't got wait. him. It's the first time he's on. David right. Sampson is his name. He's going to tell us a story about getting fired by Derek Jeter in a text. Really? Um, he's going to talk about Jerry. He's got strong views on Jared Kelnick. The Mariners' mistake with him, Kevin Mather, who was his contemporary as the as the Seattle Mariner, foreign substance abuse or issue, the foreign substance issue in, in Major League Baseball, yeah. and his relationship with Ichiro, who, oh. be, as you remember, became a Marlin after his days here in Seattle That's and right. New York. Right? I forgot about that. Yeah. Ichiro, by the way, who still goes out and shags before games. Does he really? The gray hair sticking out. He's Does got the he full really? uni on. He's still yeah. out there shagging fly balls. I love it. I think people, even if you don't like baseball, you're going to love David Sampson. He's very unfiltered. Great. Kind of way out there. He'll say anything about anybody. <laughs> All right. Okay. And then uh, number three, guess number three is a Juanita High School new graduate. Why are we having a Juanita High School 18-year-old named Nick Taylor on the show? Because he's got an inspirational story as well. Birth defect essentially cost him his right arm and hand. Has no real use for his arm and hand. Can't yeah. use it. Overcame it. Became a varsity starter in football. A varsity starter in basketball. And one of the area's top pitchers who throws 80 miles an hour as a left-hander. Ooh. He's now getting ready to go to junior college and hopefully get to Division One college baseball. And he's going to tell us a story of when he was five. His father said to him, you really want to be a baseball player? And he's out in trouble. He couldn't catch the ball. Yeah. Because he couldn't use his really right arm, which is shorter. And he's only got two fingers. They showed him the video of who? Jim Abbott. And at five years old, he watched the video over and over all summer long, and he taught himself to do what Jim Abbott was doing on this video. And the rest, as they say, is history. He became the best little leaguer, the Incredible. best junior high, the best AAU player, the best player on his varsity team. Now he's throwing 80 with a curveball and a changeup, and he's doing the exchange of the mitt is exactly like Jim Abbott. He's going to tell his story on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 146. I would have to watch that video over and over to figure out how Jim Abbott does it, too. I can't it's really... fast. It's really crazy. It's smooth and it's fast. <laughs> he said he, he, he mastered it so well 
that when, and I'll give away a little bit of the interview. Okay. He said he mastered it so well. Nick Taylor I'm talking about. That when he played little league ball, by the time he was 12, 13, 11, 10, whatever, kids didn't even realize it. They had oh. no idea he was – they didn't even – and it was like the end of the year, like little picnics and, and pool parties that they're like, wait a second, you're, you're, you're different. You're, no one even could tell because – Playing he, all year like that? Yeah, and going to all-star games and, and hitting third in the lineup, and no one knew. Jeez. No one even kind of – he. It's, it's amazing. It's an inspirational amazing. show we got coming up here. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, I think you're going to like it. It's great. Hotshot 146 just doesn't happen, or any other show for that matter, without great partners like Fireside Home Solutions and John Waterstrat. Listen to this. They sponsored our U.S. Open pool last weekend, not to mention the Masters, PGA, and NFL Beat the Boys contest. Gave away cash prizes to all of them. So begin your fireplace search and garage doors, too at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Jordan Flowers and his amazing mortgage team in Kirkland. Not only did I receive a Dan Marino-signed Dolphins helmet for my birthday, but they continue saving unfiltered listeners lots of money on your monthly mortgage payments. It's as easy as a simple seven-minute call at 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers, 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. Tyler Hayes' team, evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza from Tacoma North to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest, the best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer and pizza delivered right to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. And Daniel's Broiler continues its forward momentum. Daniel's Broiler is now selling their popular old-fashioned cocktail mixer on Amazon all over the country and offering a bottle to all of our listeners, Mitch Unfiltered listeners, at 20% off on Amazon. Unfiltered listeners from all over the country last week took advantage of that offer. You just type in the promo code MitchL20, M-I-T-C-H-L-20. Episode 146 begins right now. Unfiltered. You know, Jamal Adams is a huge tweeter, right? Twitter yeah. guy? Yeah, yeah. How funny would it be if you got a tweet from Jamal going, I got no family problems, I'm just not going. I'd love it. Oh, <laughs> I would love it. He might. We should probably check. <laughs> family matters. Everything's hunky-dory over here. Yeah. I just ain't going. That's right. Until yeah. I get a contract. We're five million apart. What we ain't close. Family matters. <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to be excused. I want to be fine. Find right, me. Right. Unfiltered. It took longer for David Griffin to write this statement than Stan was. <laughs> the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, how can you write? I mean, how can you profusely pray? I mean, yeah. I understand you write this after a guy was to a 10 years, eight years, seven years, took you to a few playoffs. I mean, this is what you write about a guy yeah. who at one point had success. You brought your organization. They fired him after one year. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 146. Now, who who came up with the Juanita High School? <laughs> Steve Dion, the producer of the Mitch Unfiltered Show. <laughs> the best that ever lived at the producer world. Oh, All right, we're officially underway. Episode 146. I got to tell you before we start, I just yes. happened to be sitting by a lifelong Utah Jazz fan oh. during game six oh. against the Clippers. My Clipsies. And at one point, I looked at him and I said, they're up by 18. I mean, if, if, if they blow this. They're up 25. Little did I know it was going to go to 25. Yes. And that they were going to blow it. 
I couldn't believe what I was watching. He was ready to punch a hole in the wall. I don't know that any of our listeners in the Pacific Northwest, I know we have listeners outside the Northwest, but I don't know that any of our listeners in the Pacific Northwest are ready to hear this from me, and this may rub them wrong, so I apologize. Okay. But I was so into that game. That game was maybe the most exciting game, NBA game, that I've watched since the Sonics left. Because I have a a connection to the Clippers. You know, I know know some of the people there, and I root for the Clippers, so I'm all in on the Clippers. But that game, they're down 25 in game six. They don't have Kawhi Leonard, and they start hitting everything. I mean, everything in the gym. They they, they were hitting half court. It was unbelievable. I was going crazy on Friday night watching that game. I love that game. I, I, I told the poor Utah fan, don't worry. I've seen this a million times. The Clippers are going to cool off. They're shooting out of there. Don't worry. Second half, they're going to cool off. Okay, third quarter came, didn't cool off. And you're still waiting, sitting here on the Sunday night, right? <laughs> they haven't cooled off since. Well, yes, they did. Well, I guess In game did. one against the yeah. Suns, they kind of That did. was, inc- I felt yeah. so bad for that no, Jazz fan. No, no, no. Oh. Never feel bad for a Jazz yeah, fan. Yeah, that's probably a good rule. Feel bad for Mercer Island native Quinn Snyder. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I like Quinn Snyder. Mr. Duke Blue Devil. I think he and I are the exact same, huh? Mr. Yeah. Duke Blue Devil. Mr. Coach K protege. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One time married to Larry Brown's daughter. That's right. Yeah. Assistant coach, I think, under him. Who was the assistant coach I under think him? think Quinn was an yes, assistant I coach under Larry Yes, I think on the, Cl- on the Clippers uh, staff, maybe? Remember, yeah, no. I remember thinking, that's a pretty good gig. I wonder how he got that. <laughs> I wonder how he got <laughs> it. Standing around holding the clipboard. Episode 146, a couple of announcements before we get into the stories of the week. And the stories of this coming week, U.S. Open Pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions, Hotshot Scott. Yes, sir. Uh, 233 entries went five for five. All five of their picks made the cut, which had to happen for the U.S. Open. And guess who was one of those 233? Yeah, only geniuses come up with all five so the group of 233 is really a lot of geniuses i'm guessing Ladies so you you made gentlemen. it you made it is that what you're gonna say Let, no i i wasn't even close <laughs> one of my guys withdrew with sand in his eye i kid you not oh that's a tough one victor hovland said you know i can't play i got a little sand in my eye that hurts i mean yeah. for him and he for said you. he played three or four holes of the round without being able to see out of that eye because he got the sand in his eye while he's practicing in the in the sand trap before oh. the round started. It got in his eye. He got medical attention. They couldn't get the stuff out. He was trying to play because he thought maybe it would clear itself up. Yeah. And it never did. So that was the end of me. I mean, if you get a tiny little eyelash in your eyeball, it feels like oh. uh, it feels like yeah. somebody stuck a fork in there. I mean, imagine <laughs> a bunch of sand. Bunch of sand. That's not good. Bunch of sand. It is surprising they don't get that. That doesn't happen more often because they hit that sand pretty hard. But your your group of five of Kepka, Shoffley, Johnson, DeChambeau, and Mickelson. Uh-huh. I can see all their faces going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't. Congratulations on getting off. You did Thank not you. win. I didn't win. Okay. Yeah. So ask me who won. Do we know who won? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we know one of two people won. Somebody who has uh, entered a name Kids College Fund. All right. Or somebody who entered the name Log008. Both of them had Rom winner, Oosthuizen, second, Morikawa, top five, wow. Kepka, top five, Shoffley, top eight. They had the exact same five guys, so they finished with the exact same score. And now. The winner is determined by who got their entry in first. It's a timestamp thing. Really? So I reached out to Bill Sanders oh. of Run My Pools, and he was at a Father's Day function. It said, I'll, I'll take care of it when I get back in a few hours. Yeah. 
I was like, we're not waiting any, any longer to do the show. So we, at this moment, as you and I talk, either Log 8 or Kids College Fund is the winner of the grand prize of the U.S. Open pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Because of whoever got it in That's first. all I got. <laughs> I love it. Whoever got it in oh, first. Man. They got the exact same five That's guys. incredible. Yeah. And congratulations are in order to John Rom. Yeah, I saw that. I was really happy for Did him. you? No, you no, I truly was. I don't even know. Did you even like, watch? you even know that he won? No, I... I just said I was very happy for him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. After the, the COVID thing that he went through, I was yeah. happy for him, really, honestly. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, he was the guy two weeks ago for non-golfers, non-golf fans out there, who was six shots up going to the final round of Jack's tournament yeah. at the Memorial, and they broke the news to him after he finished the 18th hole on Saturday with a six-shot lead in a pretty big tournament that you're going to have to withdraw because you tested positive. You were exposed and he, he wasn't two weeks clear of the second vaccine, and he had to withdraw from the tournament, a tournament that he was going to win. He was on the way to winning. Right. So two weeks later, here he is at a place where he won it. I don't know whether you're a divine intervention guy. I, we don't really go there very often. Probably not. No. But, I mean, if you, if, you, if you are somebody who likes to think about divine intervention, think of this. Okay. John Rahm's first PGA Tour event win came in 2017 at Torrey Pines. John Rahm popped the question to his wife in La Jolla, California, at Torrey Pines, site of, site of the U.S. Open, a couple of years ago. Uh, two weeks ago, he was forced to withdraw in a very sad scene outside of 18 yeah. and, and give up the memorial at Jack's Tournament. It's the first Father's Day. They just had a kid. This is his first Father's Day. They just had wow. a kid a couple of couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. And he wins on the first Father's Day at Torrey Pines. I, I mean, I, I can go on and on that's, with divine intervention. <laughs> that's incredible. If you want it's it. It's a lot of coincidences. I love it. Yeah, that's that's so. great. Good for him. I, I was thinking Sweet Swing and Louie was going to win, but Louie was hazing, let oh. me down with his tee shot on 17. So how did you do? You haven't said... Four, so pr probably four for five at least, right? If you weren't five. No, five. I went three for five. Oh, boy. 600. <laughs> I'll tell a fame number. Mariner sure. should sign me. 600. <laughs> no, I didn't do very well. I didn't do very good. So, uh, yeah, I thought Louis Oosthuizen was going to win. I was kind of rooting for Louis. I don't know why. I, I love Louis's golf swing. For those of us that play, you watch Louis swings the – I don't think anybody swings the golf swings the golf club with as much – elegance and effortless effortless golf swing you can watch it over and over again and you can go out to the range and try to be louis i love louis ustazen's tempo and golf swing and i thought he was going to win and then he got it he hit it left on 17 and that was the end all right so sorry sorry louis yeah and the biggest collapse on the course while we're talking the u.s open real quickly your buddy bryson dechambeau did you see what he did no did you pick him yeah i think i did yeah kepka shoffley johnson dechambeau mickelson yeah yeah Bryson DeChambeau, after the eighth hole, he stood on the ninth tee. Okay. Hot shot. Two under for the day and five under for the tournament and in the lead. Okay. He was the solo leader standing on the ninth tee of the U.S. Open on Sunday, having won it last year, defending champion. All right. Okay. And, and the most talked about guy in golf in the last year is Bryson DeChambeau. And why? Why is he the most talked about guy in golf? What's special about him? Do you know? Well, yeah, of course I know. We've okay. talked about him. What, what, what's special about him? Well, he's almost transforming the way the game's played because he's putting on all this muscle so that focusing he can, on how hard he can drive it. He just wants to drive it as far yeah. as possible. He doesn't care about straight. He wants to drive it as far as possible. So the reason I bring that up is he's standing on the ninth tee box. So how many holes does he have left to play if he's finished eight? <laughs> he's got ten. He's got ten left, yes. He's got ten left. 
Nine is a par five. Okay. 13 is a par five. Oh. And 18 is a par five. All right. So 10 holes to play with a one-shot lead, and three of the holes are par fives. Nobody eats up par fives. I mean, no, par fives are easier for, for Bryson DeChambeau than anybody on tour. He right. just hits it so far. doesn't matter if it's 600 yards. He just he, he can knock it on in two, no problem. They're, they're kind of easy birdies for Bryson DeChambeau. So he's got 10 holes left. He's the U.S. Open leader, and 30% of the holes that he's got left are... Par fives. Par fives. Yep. He plays the last 10 in eight over par. Oh, my gosh. He shoots like 44 on the back nine. He drops from number one to number 26 on the final leaderboard. What was his problem? Just Just all over the joint. Everything. He said he got a lot of bad breaks. There was a little bit of a wang, wang, wang going on. Isn't that his personality kind of though? Yeah, I don't like him at all. All right. I kind of like, I kind of enjoyed watching the meltdown. One of those guys who, nothing's ever his fault. It's not, he's not, they got the Brooks Kepka thing going on with Bryson DeChambeau. And I'm not a big Bryson DeChambeau. I was not, let's put it this way. I was not as hurt as I was by the emails. In reaction (laughs) to episode 140. Is he changing the game yet or is it kind of too early? Well, I think for, uh, yes, there are a lot of people that have subscribed, even young people that have subscribed to the theory, let's just bomb it. Okay. Let's just not worry about where we hit it. And in a lot of tournaments where the rough's not high, like the U.S. Open, you can get away with it. And there are a lot of people that are saying this is kind of like baseball, where the data says, let's just go for the home runs and strikeouts are fine. We don't want singles, doubles, and triples. You know, that's new baseball. New golf is Bryson DeChambeau. But the problem is, he's going to, I mean, he's won a lot. Okay. He's won a major... He won the U.S. Open last year. He's won some other events. He's become very popular, but he hasn't won like at an unbelievable clip to make it seem like, okay, this is the right way to go. Gotcha. Okay. He's got to win more. Okay. For it. But but yes, everybody's trying to hit it as far as they can hit it. It's good news for those long drive guys. You ever watch the long drive? Oh, my God. Those guys (laughs) hit it like 400 or something. It's good news for them. Well. (laughs) They can get their their short game together. They don't even have a putter. They don't even know how to putt. (laughs) Right. So you got the U.S. Open. You've got the Seahawks, who finished minicamp last week on Thursday. So their summer officially begins. When I left your house last time. Yes. Episode 145P. Become a patron at $5 a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. We were wondering if the Jamal Adams thing, if anything was going to come out about why he missed camp. They said it was a family matter. Do we have any news on that? On what the family matter was? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Just curious. No. But Pete Carroll said, don't worry. A deal's coming. Okay. Uh, that's kind of the big story now that they're all now on summer vacation. Everybody's on summer vacation now until July 27th. So it's not much of a su- summer vacation. Yeah. What's the, we're recording this on the 20th. Yeah. So they've got, they've got five weeks. Right. And then training camp begins. And then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And, and we'll see whether there's a new deal for Jamal Adams between now and then. My, my prediction is there will be no deal between now and July 27th. You hold me to that. Okay. July 27th will come. Everybody will report. Yeah. He won't. And there will be no deal because I, I don't think there's an urgency, especially on his behalf, to sign a deal before July 27th. Now, yes, he'll be fine for missing training camp and yada, yada, yada. But his, his leverage is as opening day approaches, right? Yeah. So July 27th is still five, six weeks. They only play three preseason games, or is it two? Two or three preseason three preseason games. Yeah. And then they start after Labor Day, a week after Labor Day. So I believe that he won't come to camp. They won't have a deal between now and July 27th. And then somewhere along the way, as 
preseason unfolds and training camp unfolds, you'll hear of a new contract. That's my prediction. So we know that he wants, or we think we know, he wants between 19 and 20 a year. Is that about right? That's what they're saying. He, and, he He's scheduled to make 9.8. Okay. The best ever at his position, I think, makes 15. 15, 5, or 16. I think there was right. a 16, right. Brady told I us. I know the Seahawks are willing to pay him 17 or 18 to give him okay. more, but I think he wants more than that. Whew. So then that's the question. And he's at $9 million right now? He's at, nine. I think, 9.7 okay. or 9.8. The other guy who wants a new deal is Dwayne Brown. That came out of, that came out of mini camp last week. KJ, they seem to like what the – I don't know how much you can judge from minicamp, but they seem to like what the linebackers did last week. Okay. In particular, we've been hearing about Daryl Taylor. Yeah. Daryl Taylor, the guy who was hurt all last year, who's <laughs> yeah. going to be the next coming, right? right. Daryl Taylor was at minicamp practicing and impressing people. Good. So the door might be inching closed on the return of KJ Wright unless somebody gets hurt or somebody's no good in training camp. It's a shame because, of course, everyone loves him. He's one of the last ones who was on the winning Super Bowl team. And he I played, love he, KJ Wright. He played well last year for an older guy. I think that if you said to me in all the years that I went out there for training camps and did the show from there and did Mitch in the Morning from there and interviewed these guys over and over yeah. every year – if you said, okay, who were the guys that you genuinely thought were the nicest guys on the team? I would say K.J. Wright. Huh. I would say Cam Chancellor are the two guys that stand out as the guys that I look wow. forward to sitting down and talking to. Yeah, I don't know anything about K.J. Wright's personality. I, oh, I haven't heard either way. Salt of the earth. Interesting. Oh, Great, great guy. Well, like I've said, we should get back down there and do some Mitch Unfiltered shows live from Seahawk training camp, and you can interview your pals again. If they hear that I'm coming to training camp, they will purchase a new property and move before they <laughs> let me in. Throw you in Lake there. Washington? Yeah, they're not letting me in. They have a, a few of the offensive linemen will be waiting there. At the All door, right, fair so enough. You're, like they're protecting their quarterback. Gotcha. So it seems like KJ is less and less likely to return to the team, at least for now. Um, other things that they're talking about the new offense, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator. It's very, very complicated. That's what I hear, yeah. Very, very intricate. But, it, but it's fast. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna get out of the huddle and get to the line. Good. And when you hear that, <laughs> you you have to like me think of it. How many times over the last five years are you watching the play clock oh. go down to and you're like, snap it, snap it. And they're gonna get a penalty, a five yard penalty, yeah. or they just they just snap it at the last second. How many right. times? Yeah, burn over a the timeout, years? maybe. If Shane Waldron does nothing but change that, I'll be happy. <laughs> I don't even care if they win any games. <laughs> right. They just snap the ball with like five seconds to go on the clock. I'll be thrilled. I coached seventh and eighth graders, and we always got the playoff in the right amount of time. Like, it, it, what is why? What is happening with that offense? And like you said, they would snap it at zero where there probably should have been a penalty, but the ref just kind of lets it close, go. You know, close. Oh yeah, I hope we don't. I hope oh, those days are I, over. Oh, Why is that happening on an NFL team? It oh. drives me crazy. And by the way, it sounds you good. Get to the freaking line and snap the ball. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, but it sounds good that they, you said it's going to be like a fast offense. Going to be fast, fast pace. You fast want the tempo. ball to get out of his hand quickly. It's going to be fast out of your hand. Good. He's going to throw some quick things out to the receivers. It's going to be a different looking offense. I'm ready. So I'm looking forward to it. But it's very complicated, Hotshot. So, so don't try to understand. <laughs> I won't. And then my question that pops up in my head anyway is. Richard Sherman. Still not on a team. Not on a team. The Seahawks seem okay for now with guys like DJ Reed and Akella Witherspoon and Trey Flowers and Pierre Desir and Trey Brown at Oklahoma, rookie. But boy, I don't know. I, and I'm not saying that Richard Sherman will be here tomorrow or the next day, 
But if he doesn't sign with anybody and they go to training camp and they start seeing these guys getting burned by Tyler Lockett and and DK Metcalf and whoever else, I don't know. I, I could still see Richard Sherman returning to Seattle late in his career to play cornerback. Are we talking 34 years old? I don't know how old he is. Yeah, probably about that. If, if nothing else, I mean, maybe he could come in and, and mentor these young guys. You get something out of it that way. I don't know if, how much he has left on the field. He doesn't do much for me on the field at 34. I'm not, especially at corner. Well, I mean, he seemed to be okay position. when he played for the 49ers last year. Yeah. He wasn't like the world's worst corner. He wasn't getting beaten all the Now he was hurt a lot. Yeah, that's, that's The other question is, can he stay healthy? Can he be on the field? But I don't know. Do you like the idea of Reed Witherspoon, Flowers, DeSeer, and Brown? Do that, does that do anything for you, that cornerback room? No. Okay. But I don't know that a 34-year-old Richard Sherman well, makes me feel any better. Another set of legs. Yeah, but old legs. Well, he's 33. Uh, yeah, he's 30. I mean, I, oh, sorry. He's way younger than I thought at 33. No, it, it doesn't do much. And I love Richard Sherman, of course. I love all those guys who are on the Super Bowl teams, but uh, I don't know. I don't Let's know that, if that's necessary. July 27th is the next date that you need to know for the Seattle Seahawks. And look who's over 500 in Major League Baseball, by the way. Oh, your Seattle Mariners are the hottest team as we record this on a Sunday night in the in the American League. They have won seven of their last eight. And as we record this, they are a couple of games over 500, even though they have been outscored by 46 runs aggregately. And that, if there's such a word, aggregately. And that is, I think, the fourth worst in the American League. They're two games over, having been outscored by their opponents by 46 runs. So when they lose, they lose big? And, and they, when win they win by, they win, is, is they win by a run. Okay, gotcha. They won an extra innings on, on Sunday by by more than one. And and the story clearly from Marinerland lately has been J.P. Crawford. Mm. Wasn't there a grand slam in there somewhere? J.P. Crawford in the month of – this is a guy who they acquired in the Gene Segura deal. Okay. He came, he came to Seattle and everybody said, now he's going to play a great defensive shortstop, but – he may not hit. He's not much. Of, and I was like, okay, here we go again. I mean, how many guys like this can we have? Yeah. We're going to play a good – how many guys are going to play a good defensive first base or a good defensive third base or a good left field, <laughs> right. but they can't hit, right? And he was exactly that until recently, and then something happened, and J.P. Crawford has been, like, impossible to get out. In the month of June, he's hitting 370. Woo! 370 in the month of June. I like it. A 422 on base percentage, a 603 slugging percentage. He's got a 1025 uh, on uh, on base plus slugging percentage. All of a sudden, he's hitting first in the lineup since Jared Kelnick went back to AAA. J.P. Crawford has become the all-star of the Seattle Mariners. Right. Out of nowhere. Love so, it. But the, the Mariners, they never have guys like that who just pop out of nowhere, right? Not, 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 not very often. Not very often. Guys you don't expect who just pop. No. I, so I love it. No, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. J.P. Crawford at 370 in June. And his his batting average, I think, for the year is now over 280 as we record this. Now, you might say over 280. Yeah, over 280. On a team where half the guys in the lineup are hitting 125. 280 looks really good. Sure does. 280. Yeah. For your shortstop and your leadoff hitter, he's got a... 422 on base percentage in the month of June. So, uh, yeah, the Mariners and J.P. Crawford are the story. I'm excited about the Mariners, but is this the part where you tell me it's smoke and mirrors and don't get excited? Well, I think the minus 46 yeah. tells the story. Okay. I mean, how unless that's going to change, how much do you trust two games over 500 when you're being readily outscored by your opponent just about every night? Yeah. No, I don't <laughs> just know. Just about every night. That doesn't sound good. Well, I guess it's not just about every night. <laughs> right. I guess... Uh, <laughs> 
That's not true. That wouldn't be fair. So. Nonetheless, I'm excited about the Mariners. And congratulations to end this first segment. Congratulations, Hotshot Scott, are in order oh, okay. to one of the most popular members of the Sonics organization of all time. Mr. S- who they call Mr. Sonic? Oh, yes. Nate McMillan. Nate Mac. Nate McMillan. McMillan, yes. Nate McMillan. For Mr. Sonic. points. The guy's got his Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference. He wasn't even the coach of the team midway through the season. Crazy. Interim. He was like the assistant to the guy. They fired the guy. They're like, okay, for the remainder of the year, let's just give it to Nate McMillan. He's coached NBA teams for a lot of years. Yeah. We'll let him coach the rest of the year, and then we'll bring somebody new in the offseason, and this will be a throwaway year. And then they haven't <laughs> lost. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They beat him in Philadelphia in games five and seven. And Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan has got the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young in the Eastern Conference Final against the Greek Freak and the Milwaukee Bucks. I know no one cares about the NBA here in Seattle, but there's you, you got to care about Nate McMillan, don't you? People are happy for Nate. Yeah. How many years was he a member of the C- Seattle Sonics organization in some oh, capacity? Organization? Yes. Drafted in 87? I don't know. Played 10. I do know the years. answer. That's why I'm asking. But I'm going to say 15 years. 19 years. A member wow. of the. He was once the coach of the song. He was, yeah, sure. And I think he'll be the coach again. God, if he They was get a popular. team back. What was so popular about him? He was so popular. I mean, this is in the middle of Kemp yeah. and Peyton yeah. and Brakowski. <laughs> That's right. Yes. The, the Scheffler years, as yeah. I call them. And Irvin Johnson was on a couple of those teams. Yes, HIV negative. Yeah, Irvin Johnson. That's what yes. you called him. Yes, yes. Um, I don't. know. He just seems like another salt of the earth guy. He wasn't flashy. He he worked hard on. He was a great, great defensive, defensive player. player. Yep. Yeah. Unselfish with the leader. ball. Yeah. Quiet. Yep. Yeah. Would stick his foot on the three point line and make it every time, which used to drive me nuts. If you just move back four inches, you get one more point. Speaking of which, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Durant in Game Seven. Did you see the shot? No. They. You know, the, the Nets lost to Milwaukee in okay. Game 7, and he hit the shot to tie it and send it. It was an unbelievable game, Game 7. No, no one cares in this town, but yeah. uh, an unbelievable game between the Bucks and the Nets that went to overtime. He played every minute of the game, 53 minutes, okay. and he hit the shot, a, a turnaround jumper with his foot on the line at the end of regulation to send it in overtime. If his foot was my size yeah. instead of his size, it would have been a three and the series would have been over. Oh and he scored gosh. 48 points to boot after Jeez. scoring 50, I think 49 or 50, a couple of nights earlier. <sighs> and they're out. Kevin Durant. Do you like Kevin Durant? But some people in this town like him and other people don't don't care for him so much. I don't you like know, him? Yeah, I like him a lot. I don't know why you wouldn't care for him. What is it about him? I, I like that he still reps Sonics gear. Sometimes you'll see. He likes Seattle. Yeah, he. You know, he has he got a soft spot yeah. for Seattle. Yeah. I guess when you're a rookie, you have this, this, you know, this love for the first team that drafts you. So yeah, I like Kevin Durant. I root for him. Do you? Yeah. I thought that team was going to be great. That that Brooklyn Nets. Well, team. they yeah. lost Kyrie Irving in the middle of the playoffs, and that's it. And, and Harden came it. back, and he wasn't. He wasn't the same. But anyway, now Nate McMillan. I just want to say congratulations, Nate McMillan. Atlanta Hawks. Great. Good. So you him. can root for the Atlanta Hawks against the Milwaukee Bucks, and maybe Nate McMillan can play for the NBA championship or coach for the NBA championship in the next round. Is there any doubt that he's going to be the coach of the Sonics when they come back? I mean, he has oh, to yeah. be, right? Oh, there's plenty of doubt. Oh, really? I think it's just a done deal. He's really? got to be the coach of the Sonics when they come back. If they come back, who knows? Who knows? How great would that be? Isn't Lenny available? <laughs> I don't think so. I think Lenny's had his, his fair share of coaching. He's out. Three interviews, episode 146. Other stuff segment will be fun with Hot Shot Scott.
Hey, look who we've captured again on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors. How's everyone doing, John? Hi, Mitch. Doing great. Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny, John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is, like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire fireplace in your home people who listen to unfiltered know that a few years ago you guys also jumped in the garage doors business how's it going tell us about that arm of your of your work. It's doing great as well. Uh, It's very, very busy. In that industry, it's a little bit different. Most garage doors are steel, so the steel index has gone up. So the pricing has been a little bit more variable. We just moved our Puyallup location to a Sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down. Fantastic. Start your shopping, whether it's a new indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors you got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered, Fireside Home Solutions, and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. It's time that we talk saving money with my buddy Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. How are you, Jordan? Mitch, I am doing great. I am still trying to track you down to win someone money back from (laughs) golf last year. We'll do it. Do I have to call you J-Flo on the golf course, or can I call you Jordan? Yeah, you know, J-Flo's just going to pump me up. <laughs> you better be careful. What are rates these days on 30-year fixed? Yeah, rates are still, we're quoting out in the high twos, low threes on 30-year fixed rates right now. So depending on if you're looking to do a cash-out refinance or a straight rate and term refinance, you're still being able to capitalize on historically low interest rates. Good time to buy a house in the Pacific Northwest? Always a great time to buy. Certainly has its challenges for our buyers, but it's still a great time to buy. And we're helping a lot of people buy homes right now, even with as little as zero to 3% down. We've got some tricks up our sleeve that help our buyers win in competitive situations. So always a great time to look at it. So if I'm considering a refinance, how do I know when the right time is to call you guys? If I look at my 30-year fix that I'm involved in right now, and I see, let's say, 3.7%. Can I save money yeah. by calling you? Absolutely, 100%. You could be looking at saving money on a new 30-year, getting in the high twos, low threes, or shortening the payoff time frame that you have on it and, say, going to a 20-year fixed or something. So certainly mid to high threes, you should be looking at refinancing and taking advantage of these low rates All for right, well, as long as they're here. What's the time investment? How long do I have to talk to Jordan? How long do I have to talk to J-Flow to find out how much money I can save? You can talk to J-Flow for as little as five to seven minutes or as long as you'd like to chat. (laughs) (laughs) And how do I get a hold of Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage? Our direct office line is 425-250-2500. 
425-8900-3145. And the cell phone you can text or call is 425-890-2957. Mitch Unfiltered would not be very far without our sponsors, in particular Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Gil Mortgage. Unfiltered. Got hurt in 2011. I was playing the Washington Redskins in Seattle. We had a home game, and I was covering a punt. And when I landed, I landed directly on this elbow. And, I mean, I just, the audible sound of everything in there just blowing out. There was a time where I didn't care if, if it just ended. I retired in 2012. And then I met Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, quadruple amputee. I forget to eat, forget to sleep. I was totally consumed by what Travis was achieving, not only because it was making him better, but I also watched my NFL players that were training alongside him. I watched them champion each other in a way that the adaptive athlete inspired the pro athlete. And the pro athlete got a new perspective, realizing that they had a gear beyond their known capacity. Mitch Unfiltered and our next guest was the very last pick. He's heard this before. 252 of the 2008 NFL draft out of Idaho. We won't hold it against him that he's from Eugene, Oregon. He's become far from Mr. Irrelevant, is what they call the last pick of the NFL draft. After a short NFL career with the Rams and a cup of coffee here with the Seahawks, I got to find out about that. David Vibora founded the Adaptive training foundation in dallas it's a nine-week program designed to empower the physically impaired and disabled and here he is hi david mitch great to be here with you brother thanks appreciate you so 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 tell us specifically about the program military veterans quadriplegics amputees your work is amazing and it started as a for-profit gym for elite athletes in Dallas. That's what you thought you were going to do, right? Yeah, until one day a guy without arms and legs came into the gym. Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, one of five living quadruple amputees, combat injured quadruple amputee. Right. And um, it was it was amazing, right? I just encouraged him, challenged him to work out. He made a couple of jokes about not having arms and legs, and he took a shot on me, even though I had no experience working with anybody like that. And everybody in the gym, they leveled up. They elevated, they shifted their perspective. Their pinky toe was no longer sore because Travis was doing a hundred pound sled pull with short little prosthetics on. So, you know, what I have the opportunity to do on a daily basis using the gym and sweat psychology is to, you know, take people that have been ostracized by the medical, you know, kind of process. And, and they, they get to that point where we're like, what's next? What's customized for me to push myself? And I'm all about the indomitable human spirit. And that's on display in the gym every single day. I mean, the, the stories, it's a story goldmine where sure it's inspiring, of course. Right. But inspiration, it washes off. So how do you convert that into aspirations into your own life? And so I call it the soul mirror. And, and it really is. It's like, the gym is the, the walls, but it's really about reaching what's between their ears. And it, ultimately, the program that is all cost-free, everything we take them through, it shifts them from extrinsic worth, value, and motivation to an intrinsic value, worth, and motivation that is sustainable. So they redefine their lives. They transform their lives. You'll see people missing limbs. You'll see spinal cord injuries, neurological diseases. Wow. Wow. But life, do, life wow. doesn't discriminate. You know that. Were you scared originally, David? You didn't know. Did you know what to do? How to hand? I mean, there's so many scars. Forget the physical star- scars. Yeah. The, the lack of hope 
that these men and women have when they come to you and start the nine-week program. And I would imagine that's the greatest payoff of all, seeing their faces at the end of the nine weeks. Yeah, man, if you look somebody in their eyes and treat them broken, they act that way. Right. But if you look someone in their eyes, treat them like a whole person, that person shows up. So if I was apprehensive, nervous or scared, I, I sure as hell did a nice job of faking it mm. uh, or keeping that on the inside. And I just again, I commanded and demanded that they see themselves as an athlete. You know, Bill Bowerman said that famous. I know I know another Eugene guy. Sorry. But Bill said, if you have a human body, you're an athlete, whether you compete at sport or not. And I think that just that, you know, unique kind of vernacular, the way that we approach them with certain things like empathy is fine, but pity and sympathy, there's a box on the floor in our gym. It's it's called the sympathy box. Cause if you don't, if you want sympathy, you stand in the box, you're not going to find it anywhere else. I don't care if you're, you know, Rex Burkhead Patriots running back who trains still at my place or a guy without arms and legs. And, And that again, goes back to, if you can't use the fear that you feel when you're trying something new and use it to your benefit, I mean, being the last pick, I had to show up and act as if I was the first pick or else I wasn't going to last very long. Not just military veterans, right? Victims of accidents, people's people whose lives change with the the snap of a fingers. hundred percent, man, a car crash, a drunk driver, a tree falls, you know, a rare blood infection. Like I said, life doesn't discriminate. So I think the message here is, Don't wait for some traumatic event to occur in your life to take this 180 degree in the next step forward. Uh, It it really oftentimes it comes out of the necessity, but this idea of adapting, like, yo, dude, we all can complain. We all can point at something societally or something outside of our power, but that makes us a victim. People, places, and things, I can't control those things. I can control the way that I consciously respond rather than unconsciously react to whatever life throws at me. So again, we're addressing the whole person. It's not just the physical part of the gym. Time and discipline, it changes that. And we'll have guys, like the first, we asked the guy get down out of his wheelchair and back in and we timed it. It took him over four minutes. He'd never done it before. He was too scared to. And he did it and that was great. We celebrated, but I looked, I looked at him. I walked up to him. I whispered in his ear. I said, hey, if your house is on fire, that doesn't cut it. We got to get this under 30 seconds. And after about a month of, of good core training and understanding of, of weight transfer and balance, he had it under 30 seconds. Wow. Yes. It could be the first steps again, or it could be the necessity to be able to, to, to survive and to thrive in life. You would have never imagined when you were playing football that you would find something outside of football, a passion that dwarfs the game that you grew up playing and love so much, David, did you? Yeah, it was a perfect catapult. The game to me was what set up the most impactful work that I had the opportunity to do today. Now, it, it didn't come without my own perils, really. My rock bottom was, I think, that catapult being pulled back because I needed to see where my gifts match somebody's needs outside of the parameters of football, right? The gridiron for me was X and Y equaled Z. Hard work meant I could take moderate talent and achieve more. But it wasn't until I panicked. If I'm honest with you, man, my cup of my cup of coffee in Seattle was I was severely addicted to pain medication. I was popping all kinds of stuff. Once I hurt my shoulder, it was like it was scary to think about. Well, what's next? You reach this pinnacle. You know, you're used to the framework of living inside of those locker rooms and out there on the field and being celebrated in these cathedrals. Yet. The question is, is, hey, do I have what it takes to transition and make what I've used here apply somewhere else? Go back because um, you kind of jumped ahead of me there. Your story and how you got here is sure. both both difficult, hard to listen to, and yet phenomenal in so many ways. Like so many of us, the bumps in your road shaped you 
It's unfortunately a very common story, both in football and in sports and out of sports. Painkillers, addiction, depression, suicidal thoughts. If you would, Davis, take us through, start from the beginning, uh, from the beginning, give us a a, a little synopsis. Yeah, man, my story, if you want to go to the root of it, I was sexually abused as a young boy. And frankly, as a 10-year-old kid who trusted an older boy who I wanted validation from, it really messed me up. But instead of addressing it or speaking it to somebody or asking for help, I just stuffed it down. I used outward applause, extrinsic value, worth, and motivation uh, so that people didn't ask what the hell was going on on the inside. And, and, and those were the real scars. So two decades of, of not even being able to admit that that happened. And then, yeah, it, it makes sense that there was drug use and substance abuse to help cope with some of that mental, emotional stuff that I didn't know how to deal with. And when football was gone and it, things got quiet, it gets really scary. So anybody out there that struggled with that, you're not alone. I understand that it, it feels as if it's unique to you, but the first thing is you got to open up. You got to, you got to look for the reason behind the reason for why you're reaching for the bottle or, or whatever that piece is. So for me, I was a skinny pencil neck kid growing up in in Oregon, right? Dad played for the Ducks, wanted to play for the Ducks. It came down to signing day, just had one offer. University of Idaho took it, playing 190 pounds at linebacker, like soaking wet as a true freshman. But it was always that, hey, I just needed my foot in the door. Tell us about Rock Bottom. Tell us about the Hawaii Hotel. Mm. Tell us about rehab and, and how you were able to overcome, because clearly there's somebody in our audience, more than just somebody, that is struggling right now with either the same thing that you struggled with or yeah. something else that, that would be able to find a lot of comfort in your words. What happened? So I, I was boarding a flight with my girlfriend, now wife, uh, to Hawaii after the season in Seattle. This was 2012. And, um, you know, I looked at her, I said, I'm sick. When we get back, I, I don't, I, I don't, I can't go home. I need you to take me to the hospital. And so I thought I had enough of these pills while I was there. Well, I ended up going into withdrawal out there on the Island and couldn't find anybody to, 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 to deal me any, any of these drugs. And so, um, I was at that suicide spot. I climbed up and we we're 20 floors up in this beautiful tower apart or hotel. And, and I did, I had a bad shoulder and, and everything. And I grabbed onto the bars above and I just, I swung, I held myself over and, and God love my wife being able to get me out of that scenario, but then also getting back. And, and I was in such bad shape. She had to drive me to my dealer's house in Seattle. And I'm talking, this girl's wow. never done a drug. She's never nothing. There's guns out, drugs, Ugh. girls, women. I mean, I took her into, and I barely, I can barely even remember it. I took her into the worst pit and she stood by my side. Eventually I did make it to that rehab and it was, it was night three coming to, and my body would literally physical war was being waged against my body, right? Your body shuts everything down. I couldn't control either end, had two seizures. They weren't administering the types of drugs that I had this, this rehab. I actually wanted to go to one that was rough and gruff and tough. First, my ego thought I was a big time. And like, what if they found out I was a Seahawks player? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but in, in that I was, I found that I was in this pit and I remember praying so hard at night three that like, if I could just find some relief and I, I, I reached for this plate of food that was right next to me and I opened it, it was tuna casserole. It, tuna casserole sucks much less hospital cold <laughs> tuna casserole. And I remember like, okay, if I can stuff this down my throat, maybe I can find some, some, some relief. And I went to grab the plate. I couldn't even hold it. It fell shatters on the ground. And this is, this is the lowest of lows embarrassed, ashamed, crushed. 
on my hands and knees trying to scrape up this tuna casserole and broken plate. And in this moment, the nurses rushed in these two, these two women, small women. Where was it? Was that here in Seattle? uh, Yeah, it was, it was, it was North. It was up near Everett. Yeah. Uh, Providence, I believe was, was the name back then. And I, I, I just apologetic saying, I'm so sorry. And they grabbed me and restrained me because they thought I was going to use that broken plate to try to cut my wrist. So now I'm literally tied to a bed and I'm just like, dude, a month ago, I was in a Seahawks Jersey running down on kickoff. Like, how did I get here? But in that mode and in that moment, it was like, all I could do was surrender. All I could do was fully accept. And in that case, and I know if anyone's out there, you don't have to get to this point, but that pain was so vast. It was so much that I just, I finally just hands up. I let go. And that was the beginning of that catapult being, you know, on a new trajectory. Your, your deal was painkillers. We read daily, David, about the catastrophic opioid problem in this country. But I still don't think those of us like me who have been fortunate enough not to have been up close can really understand. If, if yeah. you don't have a problem yourself or you didn't have a family member or a, a dear friend that struggled with o- opioids, I don't know that I can understand. Can you explain it to me? It, it's, it just takes your soul. It, it literally just numbs you and makes you into this beast that, and the saddest part to me, Mitch, is these, these kids today, right? That's where the real issue is because the kids steal it from a, you know, the parents' medicine drawer, and you're, then pretty soon. You're talking 15, 14, 16. You're talking that young, right? Yeah, and then when they run out, what do they do? They got to buy heroin. And then all of a sudden, it's a bad batch of heroin. I've had too many friends, man, too many friends. I lost a Navy corpsman from our program who got a bad batch, um, you know, and he had relapsed. He'd been vocal about needing help. It was during COVID. People felt disconnected, right? I mean, it's still still happening. So I, I think the the truth of that pit is – it's going to use a lot of your greatest attributes against you, your pride, your courage, your toughness. Like those are going to get ramped up to the degree that they're unhealthy. And then it's going to become this thing that just swallows you up. I mean, I remember going to a restaurant in Seattle in Bellevue with my wife, um, girlfriend again at the time. And, and the waitress came to take our order. And I thought she had already taken my drink order. And I like lit her up. First of all, I wasn't raised like that. Second, I would never, ever, as through a service person or just in general, you like light somebody. You weren't you. I was angry. I was irritable. And then, you know, she leaves and sir, my wife's looking at me like, are you kidding me? You didn't even order. That was her first time walking up. So those are those telltale signs. Yeah. And again, yeah. it, it just, it, it becomes, you become possessed with this thing that's all consuming. So many of us, David, me included, need second chances. They can be such a powerful thing if you're surrounded by people who love you, who care for you and can see the good in you, no matter that other person that you became in the throes of addiction. Yeah. It, it's all about positive enablers um, and people that'll challenge you. I'd also say this. I mean, oftentimes those that are closest to you sometimes stymie your growth and it's okay for things to grow apart and then things to grow back together. Relationally, I'm speaking to, um, I think that too often I was looking at myself and, and I have a tendency to want to, shoulder and be a people pleaser, right? Hey, let me do this for you. I take great pride and it excites me when I have the ability to do that. But when I do that to the unhealthy degree, then you create this self-deprecation, this self-flagellation. You create this, this weird codependency on the pain that you say you want to get out of and yet you orbit. If I look at something 
and I say, Hey, I want to, I want to move. I want to move away from that. I want to move away from that, but I keep looking at it. I'm not going to move away from it. Cause the thing that I'm focusing on is right there in front of me. I need to turn and move toward something else where you put your focus and attention. That's, that's what derives your feelings and emotions, not the other way around. Great, great story. Thanks, great for grateful for all the work you're doing down there in Dallas. Can't wait for the book. When's the book going to be out? Yeah, the book is, you know, I had a proposal. There was some stuff, you know, if I'll be honest, I'm not going to put anything out unless it's authentic. I have had chances to do supplements and things yeah, and yeah. not to say that those were bad. By, by the way, by the way, can I interrupt? You, yeah. you sued, yeah. you sued a company when you were in the NFL. Did you, you tested positive for some substance yep. that wasn't allowed, that wasn't on the agreed. Cause we hear that all the time. We're all very skeptical. Sure. We hear that from football yeah. players. What happened quickly? What, what happened there? Give us that story. I mean, it, it's still the $5.0 million judgment. It's still the biggest judgment against a supplement maker. Uh, really? One. And so just so you know, I never saw a dime of that because these guys are <laughs> crooks too. These guys are crooks, but all I cared about was being exonerated. Now. And who's going to play on the big screen. Cause you're kind of looking a little bit like Ben Roethlisberger these days. I just you know, I've heard know. a little Ben. I've heard a little Ben. I, I, I'll take any of the Hemsworth brothers, right? Like, I feel like that's a pretty good pool to fish from. It's great to visit with you. Let's do this again. All the best to you and your wife and your your daughters and and all the clients that you work with. We all love them and, and we pray for them. We pray for you and, and your clients. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered, David. You rock, Mitch. Thanks, brother. She's back. Senior financial planner, Katie Versio. Evergreen Golf Call. How are you, Katie? And how are all my friends doing over at Evergreen? Uh, I'm good. We're all good. Thanks for asking and for having me today, Mitch. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm feeling okay because I've never gone three for three on one of your financial trivia contests. And I'm hoping that today is the day. Do we have a theme today, Katie? Yes. So the theme is of new legislation that's recently been passed in Washington. So hopefully you've been uh, researching, been studying that. (laughs) Go ahead. What's question number one? Number one. Okay. So Washington recently passed the Long-Term Care Trust Act, which is a new payroll tax to help fund long-term care services. According to Morningstar, what current percentage of individuals turning 65 will end up needing some kind of long-term care in their life? Is it 30%, 45, 60, or 70%? Oh, I'm going out the window right away. I'll say 60%, Katie. Oof, unfortunately, the answer is 70%. Uh. So that means the majority of those that are turning 65 today will need, whether it's nursing home care, assisted living, home health care, some kind of services as they age. I'm protesting Morningstar. Go ahead, question number two. (laughs) Okay, true or false? This one's a little bit easier. You only got two options here. So all workers, since this is a payroll tax, all workers in Washington state are required to pay this tax. True or false? I'll say true, Katie, go ahead. Tell me it's false. Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's good news for the taxpayers, not good news for uh, your record here. But there are some exceptions. If you're an independent contractor, if you are a 1099 worker, you don't have to pay this tax. If you don't want to, you can opt into it. Also, if you have a long-term care policy or you purchase one in 2021, you are able to opt out of this tax. When my parents see my report card... (laughs) going to be bad news in the Levy household. (laughs) Go ahead. Question number three. Let me see if I can save some face. Go ahead. 
All right, so another law that was recently passed, but is currently being debated. There's some lawsuits against this one. It's regarding capital gains. How the law stands today is there will be a flat 7% tax that's assessed to capital gains exceeding what dollar amount? Is it 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, or 300,000? I'm throwing the two extremes out. I'm in the middle of 100 and 250. I'll go 100,000, Katie. Ooh, I'm sorry that you're zero for three on this one. It's actually 250,000. Really? If you are selling stocks, any other types of property, and you have gains in a given year above 250,000, as the law stands today, there will be a flat 7% tax assessed to that. Have you ever heard of going easy on the host, Katie? <laughs> you're supposed to go easy on the host. I love her anyway. She's back with us, senior financial planner, Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. The way Scott Boris does business is that he wants to make sure that the players are represented by the union that he claims to not be a part of and separate from, which he's not. His hands are all over the union and how they operate. He wants to make sure the union does everything in their power to maximize player earnings. I'm in. One of the things when you run a baseball team is you watch the game differently. You're looking for what players are doing, when they're supposed to be doing it, where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to be doing what they're doing. You're looking at the signs from the third base coach, what play is supposed to happen when. But something that you also have to do, which made me absolutely bonkers, is every day there was a pitcher pitching who was a prospect or a long-term sign or are better pitchers. Every pitch, every inning of every day that they pitched, I worried that they were going to get hurt. Episode 146, Mitch Unfiltered, David Sampson. You might know the name. Executive Vice President of the Montreal Expos back in the, in the 40s and 50s. That's how old he is. President of the Marlins until Derek Jeter rolled into town. And now he's the host of Nothing Personal, the podcast provided to us from CBS. Here he is on Mitch Unfiltered, David Sampson. David P., what does P stand for? Philip. David that name Phillip. was given to me back in 1927. <laughs> <laughs> you have been described as too outspoken and unfiltered for baseball front offices, but a great podcast host. Is that fair or unfair? I think that people take baseball a little too seriously when you're inside it. And I was there for 18 years and there were many times that I felt as though I was in the room where it happened and that I was surrounded by important people. And I remember the first time I walked into an owner's meeting, I was in awe looking at George Steinbrenner and Jerry Reinsdorf. But then after a while you realize that, you know, they all put their pants on one leg at a time and they've all got warts just like the rest of us. So I think the difference is that I was always willing to, pretend that we weren't curing cancer and pretend that we weren't solving the Middle East peace process. And, and I didn't understand why we couldn't talk more to fans or do more media stuff. But clearly, uh, I, my views are not shared by many within baseball. So once I got fired by Jeter, I said, hell, I might as well get paid to talk. And so there you go. <laughs> Did your outspokenness get you in trouble along the way in either Montreal or Miami? Well, let's just say that I almost got canned by 
baseball and by my owners so many times because they just weren't used to having people around like me. <laughs> but I think that the thing that saved me is I never lied. Really, I'm just a person who's straightforward and honest and tells things how it is. And I, I like giving people a peek behind the curtain. And that's how Nothing Personal actually started, mm. where I the idea came to me to do a show to, to let people understand what press releases are really saying or what athletes are really saying, but not what owners are really saying, but not because I've been through so many things and most gas bags on the radio were doing podcasts. You of course excluded. They've never <laughs> done anything. They just say things that are based on fantasy or what they perceive to be true. And I think that's why our podcast has gotten such a big audience so quickly is that they're hearing from someone who's actually seen it and done it. Give me two examples of where your mouth almost cost you your job as a front office person. I was doing a show with Levitard yeah. when I was in Miami uh -huh. and there was a question asked of me and I said about raising money and having corporate sponsors. And I said very clearly that I would, if I could, I would have sold a sponsorship for the foul poles to a strip club, a local strip club <laughs> in Miami. And uh, my owner did not like that very much. Uh -huh. And baseball almost made me lose my job when I commented on Ichiro and oh. his contract with Seattle back in the day. Oh. This is before I knew Ichiro. And uh, he signed a huge deal with Seattle. And I went on the radio and said, this is the end of baseball as we know it, that we're paying a singles hitter this amount of money. And, uh, that was not taken well, but luckily I got to meet Ichiro later when he played for me yeah. and we became good friends and we still talk to this day. And we la we had a good laugh about that interview because he certainly had heard about it. Were you wrong about that interview or not in retrospect? Well, since baseball is still happening, I, I think that if you want to, <laughs> if you want to say that I was being literal, then I was wrong. But if you want to say that there are too many players getting paid too much money, uh, that aren't worth the amount they're being paid, then I don't think I was wrong. I think that's continued. Yeah. Now, Ichiro is obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer and even better man than he is a player. But I think my point was we have to be careful with what we pay players if we don't admit why we're paying them. And what what I wanted Seattle to say and, and Kevin Mather, but it was really Chuck Armstrong at the time, Bavese, I think, was the GM. Yeah is I, I wanted them to say, we know we're overpaying each row, but for what he means to our team and our community right. and the sponsorship dollars that we get by having him, right. it makes perfect sense to give him a premium. Mm. Now that's the kind of quote I would give because that is an honest quote about why you are paying somebody what you're paying them. Did you watch the Zoom in its entirety of Kevin Mather when he spoke to the club in Bellevue and what did you think of his remarks? Was there an overreaction to his remarks or was he out of bounds even in David Sampson terms? So I don't watch anything in full um, <laughs> other, other than a movie a day, which I watch, but everything else is done in scenes okay. or five minute segments. But right. I, I, I did obviously see what Kevin said and I talked about it a lot of nothing personal. He said nothing of great consequence in my mind. Of course, there's service time manipulation. I've been talking about that for decades. That's the rules of the game. And we're going to take advantage of the rules of the game to pay players the least amount of money we can on an annual basis and to keep them in our control as long as we can. And we're going to do whatever we can to make that happen. So that's pretty obvious. I think when he talked about his players not speaking English well enough, yeah. that was just silly. 
And the irony is that that should have gotten him in more trouble than the service time manipulation stuff because the Kellenic situation was a no-brainer. I actually said on my show that all of the heat around Kellenic, they're still not going to start the season with him because you're talking about almost $20 million lost if you do that. So, of course, you're going to hold off the several weeks at least. And now that they've sent him down, by the way, uh, uh, they're going to keep him down enough to keep him out of being what's called a super two. Explain that to me. Explain that to us. How long are they going to keep him down? So let's do the math. So let's go to Miguel Cabrera is the best example of a player who we called up on June, call it June 20th. And we called him up on that date because we knew that he would then play the rest of 2003, but we'd have him all of four, five, and six before he'd become arbitration eligible. If you call him up May 20th, you have the rest of 2003, but then only four and five. And in 2006, he'd be making five million instead of 500,000. So it's a four and a half million dollar decision in that one year by calling him up one month earlier. So, of course, you're going to wait the extra month. So Kalanick was called up, as I recall, on May 23rd. That's about That's right. A, That's about right. Yes. Something like that. Yes. And my view is they should have waited till June 23rd. So now that they've sent him down, they're going to keep him down a month, at least a month. So that will be as though they had called him up in the middle or late June, and that will stop him from being arbitration eligible a year earlier. So after the All-Star break, you think? Oh, I. He, what day was he sent back? Do you remember? No. It's about, it's, it's about a week and a half now, something like that. So then it'll be after the All-Star break. After the All-Star break. What, Just what, count it. He'll be down for 30 days. He'll be down for about 30 days. I could sit here and do the math with you if you went to commercial and we could actually do <laughs> no, no. The, the math and by looking at a calendar. But yeah, I yeah. promise you the Mariners are looking at that as they should. Okay. And I promise you that Kevin Mather, he got caught at a bad time saying the wrong thing where the relationship between the union and the commissioner and the owners is at an all-time bad point which is pretty amazing given how bad it's been historically and with what's going on in the world with sort of systemic racism and inequality and people being more sensitive and more aware of these things he just he he hit the third rail twice in one speech did the mariners have any choice but to let him go no the commissioner absolutely made it clear that that was going to happen okay there's no question in my mind so mather says what he says Kelnick's agent and Kelnick respond, see, we've been saying it all along. We should have been up. All this is going on. He's still a very young guy. He's whizzing through the minor leagues. And then he gets up there and he, and he goes over a million. And I, you know, from a, from my perspective and I'll, I'll concur with what you said earlier, I've done nothing, but from my perspective, you know, all of this noise didn't help. Uh, he's up there. He's up there in a in a difficult situation to begin with, and now there's these there's these added expectations on his shoulders because he thinks he should have been up earlier. And Mather said what he did, and all of a sudden you've got an unbelievable prospect who now has to go with his tail between his legs back to AAA. So one thing that we like to see with our prospects is we like to see them go through a bit of adversity at the minor league level. So when you say that he whizzed through, you're right. And he whizzed through without any adversity, without losing, without having uh, any sort of slumps. And when you bring up a young player, you're looking for several things. 
when they come up, you're looking to see how they perform. But then above that, you're looking to see how they act when they're not performing well. So you don't send down a prospect because they're over 30. You send them down when they start hanging their head or when they start bringing their uh, um, offensive woes into the field and making mistakes on defense. If they start breaking bats or having short fuses when that's not their personality. So you're looking for those things as a GM or president before you make a decision to send someone down. I think the Mariners fumbled sending him down terribly. I would never have sent him down when he was in the middle of an O for what is he O for 39, 39 now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I never would have done that because now when he comes back up, he's under tremendous pressure to get a hit in his next 15 at bats or else he's going to tie Chris Davis for the longest O for in the history of baseball, what would you have which done? is O for 54. Would you have sat him down, moved him down on the lineup? They tried to move him down on the lineup for a couple of games. What would you have done, David? He's going to get a hit. I would have waited for him to get one hit and then sent him down. Because wow. I want him to not yeah. be in the middle of a streak. But I once he got a hit, then I would send him down that night. We have a history in Seattle of watching guys kill the ball in AAA, come up and struggle, go back to AAA and kill the ball, come up and struggle. And it's this, this you know, what do they call it? A, a quadruple A player, a three and a half a three and a, I don't know what a the four A player a we used a, to call him a four A player. How do we how do we make sure that Kelnick's not a four A player? Well, okay. do you guys play with all the changes now in the minor leagues? And I don't know what your affiliate is, but are you guys in the PCL for Triple yeah. A? Tacoma. So right down the so street. The, yeah. Okay, so that is that's a big time hitting league. So we always discounted stats in the PCL hitting stats. Yeah. And we would not worry as much about pitching ERA because it's a crushing sort of league. But I, I don't think Kellenick is a 4A guy, but he may be. Listen, it's so hard to make it in the big leagues. All, when we traded, I'm going back to Cabrera again, we traded him for two of Kellenick's, two of the top five prospects in all of baseball, a guy named Andrew Miller, who's still pitching, sure, by the way, sure, sure. and a guy named Cameron Mabin, yeah. who's still plurry, recently got yeah. designated by the Mets. But here we are 15 years later or 14 years later. But they were two of the top five in all of baseball and they had nice careers, but by no means were they above average hall of fame type players or even all-stars the way Miguel was. So obviously we got our ass kicked in that trade. However, baseball is the single hardest sport there is. And I'll go on record. It is the hardest thing to do to hit a baseball or to throw a baseball. And it is, there is no correlation between success at the minor league level and success at the major league level. There's the world is littered with people who are good prospects who didn't make it littered with players who were highly thought of when they were 18 and 19 and never even made it in minor league baseball. It is really, really hard to have the right mentality and the right physicality. And that is what we look for. That's why teams do all these sort of mental IQ tests and all that crap. And I didn't really get into that. What I like to, to do was talk to a player. And, and look at a player and observe. That's why I went to every game. And that's why I watched every game because I'm looking to see, and I was in the clubhouse after and before every game. I want to see how they're doing between the ears because uh, you can have all the physical skills you want. And if you don't have what it takes between the ears, then you're not going to make it. Let me throw three last things at you. Unfiltered David Sampson. This is perfect. The foreign substance issue, David, with pitchers and the grip of the ball. I saw, did I see correctly, that Boris singled out a former Marlins general manager <laughs> 
for knowing and encouraging this type of behavior, David? It, it made me laugh. I worked with Mike Hill from 2002 to 2017. He was my uh, assistant GM, then GM, then president of baseball operations. And uh, what Zach Gallon, the pitcher for the Diamondbacks, said is that Mike Hill had told him, you've got to use foreign substances. And my answer to that on nothing personal, and I'll say it again on your show, we never told players to use foreign substances because that's like telling a child how to swallow milk. You don't need to tell them how to do it. They just do it. So there is no way that we went around to our players saying, excuse me, would you like to use a foreign substance? Yeah. It, it's, it's laughable. So what should they do? Let them use, use a it? foreign substance. Does it hurt the game? No. Baseball is going to have to come to a better solution than no foreign substances. Basically, pitchers went too far. It's okay to use a foreign substance to get grip and command, but they were using it to enhance their performance. Yeah. And that started offending position players because position players were hitting 210 and looking foolish like Bugs Bunny swinging three times in a row at one pitch. And uh, that's an old reference for your listeners. It's and... Um, that's a Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour reference. Thank you very little. <laughs> but at, at some point, the pitchers just went too far. And baseball is trying to rein him back in. And to rein someone back in, you go too far the other way. And that's what baseball did by taking everything away but rosin. So I think next year you're going to see a change where they allow a substance that is better than just rosin. Well, you, you and I are about the same age, I think. And I think maybe you would agree, maybe you wouldn't. There's a problem with baseball. I'm a lifelong baseball fan. I just don't think the product watching it on TV is great anymore. I miss singles. I miss doubles. I miss managerial decisions. I miss hit and runs. I miss sacrifices. This whole strikeout or hit a home run, launch angle, exit velocity, it's to me made the game, it's already tough. It's 162 games, David. But now yes. 162 of these of these types of games, I don't know. It's lost something. There's there, there's a there's a shine that's lost off of baseball for me. But I'm I'm also the guy who, when I watch the NBA, I get very frustrated because everyone's chucking up threes every time down the court. Correct. And I I like the days of pick and roll and and back to the basket play where you can dish dump it like in. dump it right? inside, and, right? Dump it inside of the big man, it's, right? It's just totally changed, yep. and fans seem to be okay with it. And I just find it to be abhorrent when some guy shoots four for twenty from the three-point line and they're and their long rebounds and nobody follows their own shot anymore and it's just lazy to me and I think when I watch baseball it's the same you're just I don't want to run to second base man I'm either going to jog or I'm going to walk back to the dugout and that is often what the players say to themselves like why would I try to leg out a triple forget it it's not worth it I'm not getting paid for that so my advice would be that we start paying players for singles, doubles, and triples and sacrifices. And right now, all we do is pay for home runs. Like Ichiro, you want to pay him for singles. <laughs> you know, Ichiro right now, think about this, though. And you bring up a great point. Uh, the value of Ichiro in today's game is de minimis. No, there's, yeah. No one would want an Ichiro, right? Now, funny enough, Ichiro said to me, so many times during BP where he's, he, by the way, if you've ever watched him hit BP, oh, yeah. he can hit home runs during BP like Stanton. Everybody says it. Yeah. And he said to me, you know, I could have hit 40. And I totally believe him. So maybe if you were playing today, he would he hit 40. He changed. How did Jeter fire you once and for all? How did it happen? On the phone. So I got a text alert that I was being fired. And I got the text alert because someone had a source that said, David's longtime president of the Marlins, David Sampson, to be fired by Derek Jeter. So I get it on my phone and I pick up the phone and I call Derek. I said, hey, Derek, it's David. 
Hey, how you doing? I said, I'm good, man. Uh, I got a text that I'm being let go. Is that true? And he said, well, you know, I would have liked to have seen you in person. I said, well, then all you had to do is call me and you would have seen me in person. And uh, he really didn't know how to fire me. He had never fired anyone before. And so I taught him how to fire someone and I taught him how to fire me because he said, I'm sorry. And this and that. And I said, don't be sorry. Don't ever apologize for firing someone. You're doing it because you think it's right. And you thank them for the job they did and say, uh, you know, leave your leave your keep keys and pass at the door. Seems like you took it well. Good guy. Derek Jeter. Uh, he never gave me a gift basket. What would you have liked? Fruit? I would fruit. Candy? I would, I, nuts. What? Okay, the reference here, do you know what the reference is? Because your stoic face, and people don't know that I can see your face right now, and you can see mine. He's very famous for all of the ladies in his life who would yeah. come spend the night with him yes. when they when he'd yeah, get rid of the, them the, out. Yeah, he'd give oh, them a, little, a little gift basket. Got a, a gift basket. Par- parting gift basket, yes. So my parting gift basket? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did not want anything from Derek. Uh, he gave a $1.2 billion gift basket to the owner of the team. And uh, of That's the Marlins, he over he overpaid by about half a billion, and that was a pretty good gift to give. Not even Harry and David's basket, a little He's Harry. A- David? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's a great, great shortstop. Cash shoes. I have as good a chance of being an all-star shortstop as he has of being a good executive. Oh, that's a shot. Right? That's a shot. Because no, because I can't listen. I can't be a shortstop. I, know. I can practice and try he's got and no take chance. ground balls. You're saying he's got no chance. I'm saying it is super, super hard to be good at being an executive. It's super, super hard to be good at being a shortstop. It's super hard to be good at being a parent or being anything's hard. Any job is hard. And just because you can do one job doesn't mean you can do another. And I think that Derek was under the impression that he knew how to run a team and maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Time will tell. Why are you not on national TV on Fox? Do I have to call somebody? Who do you want? Do I have to send somebody a Harry and David basket? What do I got to do to get you on Fox? Every you week on my TV. I, I couldn't be happier doing what I'm doing. I've sort of, I have another career now that I never anticipated. I've loved every stop of my career along the way, whether I was on Wall Street or running my own business or being in baseball or yep. now in the media. I just, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've recognized opportunities and I've stuck my foot in the door and I've gotten my whole body through and I just love it. I couldn't be happier doing what I'm doing. I don't want to go back to running a team. I've done that. And I think Fox, I love Fox. It'd be interesting, but I don't know that they would have an interest in someone like, like a Barkley, right? You need to, because that people want to hear the truth and vanilla to me is so boring. Have you ever lost your phone at Chipotle? I've never (laughs) lost my phone, period. I am an OCD and uh, I keep everything in the same place at my house and, and with me. Uh, so, no, I, I actually, funny you mentioned that, I, I've never lost anything. That's fantastic. You're a breath of fresh air. Uh, nothing Personal is the name of the podcast. I, I don't think I'm going to have to tell people to listen now after they've heard the last 15 or 20 minutes. He's David Sampson. He's the former president of the uh, the Marlins. He's checking in from my hometown. You don't even know this. You're checking in from my hometown. I'll be there in a couple of weeks to visit my 88-year-old mom. So it's great to have you. How do you, you know on. where I am? How do you know where I am? Well, I'm assuming you're in the greater Miami area. You're somebody. You're somewhere in South Florida, Boca. You know what they where say about you? assuming. You? you know what they say about assuming, right? Oh, you're not there. You're not in Florida. Maybe I am. <laughs>
See you later. Thank you, David. All right. Hey, hey, let's catch up again with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Dan, our family's back going out to restaurants. It seems like there's a wait everywhere we go. How's Zeke's Pizza doing? You feeling the hustle and bustle? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, we're the same. We're busy. We get busier by the day. People are happy to be coming out of COVID. They're going out and eating everywhere. And so, yeah, we're like most places. It's great to be opening up and we're busy. Do you have a guess? When everyone in your world can go full throttle and open up at 100% capacity? Yeah, most people, including Zeke's, are going to follow Washington State guidelines, which means June 30th is the last day. So by July 1st, uh, everybody should be pretty full throttle. Nice. And you told us about the new location in Bellingham, which opened Memorial Day weekend. How are the early returns and what's next to pop up for Zeke's Pizza? Uh, It's been great up there. We talked about it before. We thought Bellingham was really going to embrace Zeke's. They have... It's been busy up there since we've opened, so it's been super fun. Uh, And then Seward Park and Mill Creek are the next two coming. Seward Park and Mill Creek would be locations number what? Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm losing track myself. 20 and 21. (laughs) No, you're not. 20 (laughs) and 21. And is there a beer, a summer beer for the Black family? Of course, the members of the Black family that are of age and a summertime pizza that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, there is. We actually have a great beer with an interesting backstory. We have a lot of great women entrepreneurs in the Zeke system, and five of our franchise owners are women, and they actually got together and made a beer with Black Raven Brewing out of Redmond. Uh, so we have this really great, crushable summer lager called Stellar's J. That's what I've been drinking. And then uh, our summer seasonal pies will start rolling out mid-July, so that's what we'll be ordering. Look, if you're a fan of Mitch Unfiltered and you like these podcasts and you'd like these podcasts to continue for a long, long time, and it's pizza or beer, great beer that you're craving, go to one of the great Zeke's locations, soon to be 21, or download the Zeke's Pizza app because Zeke's Pizza is homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Nick Taylor has developed into one of the top high school pitchers in the state. Nick was born with a deformed right arm. His arm ends about where his wrist should be. Nick's parents wouldn't let the defect slow him down. He was already playing football, soccer, and basketball at the age of four. But it was baseball where he'd find his passion. Our next guest was recently profiled on King 5 in Seattle. What an inspiring story. We love inspiring stories on Mitch Unfiltered. He's a senior star pitcher or was a senior star pitcher at Juanita High School, also a basketball and football starter, and was born with a rare defect. His right arm and hand did not fully develop at birth. It is a privilege to be joined by Nick Taylor, not the Washington golfer Nick Taylor. This is the baseball player Nick Taylor. Hiya, Nick. I'm doing good. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for being with us. First of all, congratulations. You're a high school graduate. Must feel good. Yeah, it does. It's pretty crazy. What's it been like the last few weeks? It's been pretty crazy. I mean, the last couple of weeks of high school, I mean, I feel like everyone kind of dreams about that and wonders what it's going to be like when they're little growing up. And to finally go through it, I mean, it's it's been it's been pretty wild. And what's next for Nick Taylor, the pitcher? Uh, I just recently signed to Edmonds College in Seattle to go pitch there. Okay. So I actually just signed yesterday. And they've got a great program there at Edmonds, and this is your your yeah. your next step to maybe pitching in college. What's your dream? You want to pl- obviously pitch in Division One. Yeah, that's 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 the goal after Edmonds to go there for a couple of years, develop, put on some muscle, put on some velo, and then uh, see where it takes me from there. 
Give me the scouting report, the pitching scouting report on Nick Taylor. Fastball, curveball, changeup? Yep, you nailed it. Coming from a, from a lefty, I'm not really that much over the top when I'm pitching, so I gotta, I gotta, usually I got a good bit of a little, a little tail on my fastball, so a good amount of movement mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes I, I might not even have to mess around with my curveball or changeup if they can't really pick up that spin or if they're just late on it. My changeup I've been working on for a long time. I would always, I was inspired by uh, Felix Fernandez with the circle changeup, and ah. like when I was like 12, so I was, I was throwing that from like 12 to 15 or 16. My first game throwing it, I had, I think seven or eight strikeouts with the changeup. So nice, nice, very nice. A, what kind of velocity? Yeah, it was a good change. What kind of velocity do you have on your fastball? Uh, right now, I'm like low 80s. I'll probably like 80 to 83. Your dad said that the defect that you have happens about once every, I don't know, 20,000 births. Do you even... Uh, rem- we actually, we looked it up after that. I think it's, it's, it's more around a million. Explain to our, to our listeners about your right arm. And do you remember as a young boy first realizing that you might have been a little different and faced a challenge that others didn't, Nick? Yeah, so, I mean, on my right arm, it goes about to where my wrist would be. And um, so it's about my my right arm is about completely as long as my left arm, like, to my wrist. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just as if, like, I'm missing a whole hand, even though it's there. It's just a little shorter. But um, I have two fingers. I call it, we call it my pincher hand when I was little. We call it the pincher hand. I mean, when I was little, one of my, like, first memories – that I can remember at all. Um, my mom doesn't believe that I remember it, but I remember like crawling around in the hospital to get my surgery on my hand because originally it was like stuck shut, so I, w- I wasn't able to open and close it until I got surgery when I was about like eight months old. And I like remember crawling in the hospital somehow and getting a Thomas the Tank Engine sticker, which <laughs> I have like a picture of me with. Somehow I remember. And um, yeah, I mean, when I was probably about three or four, right around when I started really playing sports, I realized, I was like, oh, I might have to do things a little different, obviously. I realized I had it, and I never, like, never, when I was little, I never, like, thought about it, and I was like, oh, why did this, why did this happen? This sucks. And I was just like, all right, like, I can find myself beating everyone, like, one-on-one basketball at, like, four, so I, I didn't let it slow me down. I'm, I'm just going to keep playing through it, keep persevering. Were you always supported by your peers and your colleagues when you were young, or were you teased? Oh, no, not not at all. I was I was supported really well. I had a nice. great great group group of friends, and I still do. They're very supporting, and uh, they never tried to slow me down with it. Or I mean, I mean, like we're we're all like super close friends. I mean, like little jokes about it and stuff. And that doesn't that doesn't matter. They never they never like use it against me for anything. You were five years old. And you decided that baseball is the sport that you love the most, although you started in high school at basketball, you played football and started football in high school. But baseball's always been your love since early, and you had trouble, as I understand it, catching and throwing, obviously, with the same hand because you couldn't use the right hand. And that's when your dad showed you a video of Jim Abbott. Do you remember that? Yep, I remember it exactly. So I got through a whole season of, like, uh, coach pitch, my first season, I got through it with a glove on my right hand, and I would kind of just like stick it out and wait for the ball to fall in it, mm-hmm. and like it, it worked out. It worked out okay. I think I would just like play pitcher, so I could just get a ground ball and then throw it to first. That was kind of like my spot. And then 
the next year, I remember I was playing first base. I got a ground ball to short, and he threw it across. And, like, I was kind of waiting for it to be, like, a loopy throw so it would fall into my glove, but it was just a bullet. And uh, never, never, never came down. It just went straight into my nose. Uh-oh. And my dad was like, okay, yeah, we might. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of the moment where we're like, all right, if you want to keep playing, we're going to have to figure something out. And so, yeah, he, he just he remembered about Jim Abbott and then go home, watch some videos. He was like, you think this is possible? I was like, yeah, it doesn't look that hard. No. <laughs> I'll go try him. And it took, took about two, three months of the summer out and just kind of worked on that. All summers, worked on catching, working on the transfer, getting it quick enough just in case of, like, a comebacker, being able to, like, catch the ball and throw it normally or, like, as fast as someone that's doing the transfer. And, like, I got so good at it. And, I mean, I was I was five or six. I was doing my glove transfer faster than kids could take the ball out of their mitt wow. with their other hand. Yeah. Which is pretty funny. It's amazing. So much of your story is amazing to me, Nick. The first part is that you're five or six years old trying to master this craft. There's not a lot of five or six-year-olds that are doing anything as seriously as you were trying to learn how to use one hand to catch and throw and transfer. That shows an amazing commitment. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty funny thinking back on how dedicated I was to it because I remember remember just just anything I would do when I was little that – I mean, my hand probably made harder. So yeah, I was doing any task, like tie, I remember tying my shoes took me probably, I didn't tie my shoes, like compared to my friends for probably like a year or two after them. It was the first time I was able to tie my shoe. I remember I would tie the, like the loosest knot and I'd have to retie like every five minutes, but I was, my parents would come and be like, let me tie your shoe. I'm like, no, I, I, I got it. I got it. I, I'd always try and do stuff by myself. Right. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You said, you said that you've, mastered the glove you mastered the glove transfer and you were so smooth with it that even in little league sometimes you played a full year without people without your teammates or opponents even realizing that you were doing yep. it. How, how's that possible yeah I, I don't i don't know i don't know i honestly don't know how they noticed because i mean i have more than half the time it's just on my left hand and my right hand just out there they, they never really noticed but yeah we'd get to like the year-end party or handing out like awards and stuff and having like a little barbecue or something. And then like, I'm like just talking to the kids and I'll like tell them and they're like, Oh, I had no idea what, like <laughs> they just, they'd be, they'd be all surprised. Do you hit Nick? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one hand. I, 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 I could, what do you do? I could swing, swing it in little league. You, sw- you swing it. With nah, yeah. So I have my, uh, yeah, I got my left hand on the bottom and I have my right hand. I like just pinch it right on top and, uh, it works out. I can, I can hit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember in little league, I was, I finished second or third in our home runs wow. from from my from my 12 u year, and then I mean like this year for like high school ball, like I I hit three in our lineup wow. every game until the last game I hit four, wow. and like for my summer league team, like I hit three in the lineup. So I, yeah, hitting hitting was never really affected by that at all. Nick, what is it that you can't do? Is there anything you can't do? <laughs> Your life is obviously changed by this challenge that was presented to you as a little boy, but it almost feels like you are a more courageous, a more inspiring, just a different human being than you would have been had you not faced this. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. And I mean, everyone, everybody in their life goes, goes through hardships and, and things like this. 
And I mean, this isn't the only thing I've had to go through in my life. Of, I mean, you you just got to keep going forward, take it a day at a time, really, and just keep persevering. And it, it, it's definitely shaped me into the person I am. It's just kind of shown me to like respect everyone's stories. You never you never know what's going on in people's lives. Like I mean, those kids didn't even know I had I had a cleft hand until the end of the year. So they they never they never judged me on that. So that's why I'm I wouldn't judge anyone after meeting them for their day. If you could change it, would you? Nah, I like it. Yep, I don't need to. I don't need to change it. I've had a great life so far. No, I would. I wouldn't need to go back. I got to tell you, Nick, it's an incredible story, and I'm going to follow you to Edmonds and and hope that there's baseball beyond Edmonds, and it's, it's stories like yours that really inspire the rest of us and make us look in the mirror and think, geez, how a how lucky we are, and b how much of a complainer. I'm just a complainer. I, I, I got to stop. I got to stop complaining. I mean, your, your, your outlook on life and, and your approach to the challenge has been amazing. And I thank you for sharing thank your you. story with our listeners. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you, too. Boy, are restaurants getting busier these days, including one very special to me, Daniel's Broiler. Now for a second reason, movie mogul Max is actually bussing tables for the summer at the Bellevue location. Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO, is with us. Forward momentum, Lindsay. Doing great, yeah. Business is, is much better. It's picking up every week with the vaccinations, with the warm weather. Uh, it's really nice to see. It's been a long year or even longer, oh. and, and it's starting to feel like things are getting back to normal again for sure. You can say that again. I don't know much about alcohol and beverages, but you guys have had some kind of unexpected success with a mixer that you're now bottling and selling on Amazon. Explain this to me and what you have for Mitch Unfiltered listeners. What kind of an option? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, when the restaurants were shut down for a while and then obviously limited capacity, we wanted to find a way for people to have the Daniels experience at home. And we obviously did take out and delivery. But we also launched an old-fashioned cocktail mixer on Amazon. It's been unbelievable the success that we've had, wow. not just locally, but nationally. So it's our, it's the same old-fashioned cocktail that you get in our restaurants, 12-ounce bottle <laughs> on Amazon of the mixer. It'll make 17 drinks when you mix with whiskey. Okay. Uh, normally, it's a $17 price point. And uh, for Mitch Unfiltered listeners, we're doing a 20% off Ooh. promotion. So what you do in the promo line, you put in Mitch L20 to get your 20% off. So M-I-T-C-H-L-2-0, and that'll get you the, the discount. Wow. I get $3.40 off of a $17 item. And I can make there you go, man. I can make 17 drinks with that. I'm loving it. Mitch L20 on the Amazon code, right? When you do it on Amazon.com. That's right. Okay. That's right. Perfect. There it is. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Not very far, as I say, without my sponsors, including Daniel's Broiler, who's been by my side for every step of the way back in the radio days, and now Mitch Unfiltered. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Episode 146. Hope you like the interviews. Hope you listen to the interviews. Some inspiring guys. This guy, Nick Taylor, for Juanita High School. Incredible. Incredible story. Hope you listen to it or make time to listen to it. You'll love David Sampson if you haven't heard it yet. And, uh, oh, and the story of the former Seahawk for a cup of coffee, 
the former player who was really at one point co- committing suicide or considering suicide, cleaned up his his life off the field and has dedicated himself to war veterans, amputees down in Dallas. Like I said before, I'm glad people like that exist in this world. <laughs> Because really. they level out us. That's exactly right. But you, you can't even get. You can't be bothered to, to do the PA for a little league game. And look at this guy. There's gonna oh, be people. Thanks a lot. Thanks. For, <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm sorry. You can't be bothered to do five games for little league. <laughs> Maybe if it was one. What if I said to him, I, "I'll do one." <laughs> right. I'll do. I know you have five games. I'll do four innings of one game. You pick the four innings. Yes, that's right. Would he have taken that deal? Probably oh, not. well, I, th- I think his backup was gas man. So I think it would have worked out just fine. He may even have been happier. All right. Yes. We, we've all been there. Many Twitter users are expressing empathy for an intern blamed for an email that mistakenly went out to some people on HBO Max's mailing oh, list on Thursday this. night. I saw this. The yeah. email in question had the subject line integration test email number one. Not a big deal. Yeah. And the body of the email read, this template is used by integration tests only. So, of course, people started jumping in on Twitter talking about times they've messed up at work or times they've they've messed up as an intern everyone felt sorry for this intern if they really exist one of the ones that i enjoyed was somebody wrote dear intern it gets better the person who tweeted that monica Lewinsky. (laughs) (laughs) really yeah she tweeted that you know there's something about her in her adult years that i really like i don't know if you follow her on twitter you follow her on twitter of course yeah Yeah. very like i don't but hilarious yeah yeah Uh, very (laughs) self-deprecating yes not doesn't take herself seriously. She truly really kind of reinvented herself a little bit. But she also doesn't take any shit. Oh, really? It's like a cool oh, I don't know it's that. a cool combo. I don't know that. Yeah, she really sticks up for herself and for other people. So yeah, she seems like a, a great follower. All right, I got here's what I got. Uh we'll go, do a little seesaw. I've got the New York Yankees in a baseball game ending the game on a triple play. What how often do you hear of a game, especially a one-run game wow. ending on a triple play? Araldis Chapman is in the game for the Yankees. He, by the way, the previous night had thrown a 103.4 mile an hour fastball, which I think was the fastest pitch registered in years and years in Major League Baseball. So the next day on Sunday, I think it was, the Yankees are playing. I don't even know who they're playing. And they're in a 2-1 game. Chapman's in for the save. He lets the guys get on first and second with nobody out. So you're in trouble. Yeah. It's a 2-1 game. He gets a ground ball to third, step on third, throw to second, throw to first, triple play to end a one-run game. You very rarely see it. And by the way, it's the third triple play of the Yankees season that they've turned, which ties an all-time Major League Baseball record for most triple plays turned in a year, and they've got the whole rest of the year left to get one more. All they need is one pin, Rodney, and they break the all-time record. I was going to ask you if it was a proper triple play or if it was kind of fluky. How do you, and they, but just, this, just this the, sounds proper. Well, like, just the other night, they had a real fluky one. It was okay. like one, four, three, eight. There was rundowns and, pickle all, and yeah, all kinds yeah, of okay, shit going on. That's what I was wondering. This one, no, if you want to call it a proper yeah, yeah, triple yeah. play, this is a proper triple Impressive. play. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. There you go. I wonder, I wonder why that is, why they're having more triple plays. Just, I guess baseball is just weird that way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. All right. Sexually charged athletes competing at this year's 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo are getting mixed messages after event organizers tell them to maintain social distancing rules while, while handing out 150,000 condoms at the same time, Jesus. Reuters reported. God, I don't want to. So which is it? You want me to socially distance, but you're handing me all these. So this yes. isn't a fair fight. These other stuff segments. You're doing a hundred thousand condoms, and I'm doing the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. Unused condoms and mixed messages. Welcome to my teen years. Go ahead. You're up. How do I follow? <laughs> Go ahead. I always get excited, a little bit excited, when baseball's top young player, 
There's always a number one prospect in Major League Baseball. When that guy comes up, whether he's a pitcher or a hitter, it's always, to me, something – it's kind of an exciting moment because I love baseball. Well, the number one prospect in baseball is a 20-year-old switch-hitting shortstop in the Tampa Bay Rays organization named Wander Franco. Okay. Now, you know the Mariners swept the Rays this past weekend, and the Rays announced – that he's done all he can do. He skipped double A. He went to triple A. He, he tore up triple A. Okay. And so on, on Tuesday night in their next series, it we're going to see the debut of the next young star, the next Mike Trout, the next superstar, they say, in Major League Baseball. Switch hitting, 20-year-old shortstop Wander Franco. He hit 332 in his career in minor league baseball. Jeez. He signed at 16 out of the Dominican Republic with Tampa. 16. He skipped double A, hit like 320 in triple A, and he will be in the starting line. So we'll see. All of us, Jared Koenig, I mean, Jared Koenig was like fifth on the list. This guy was number one. Right. We've seen what Jared Koenig did in his first yeah, month. Yeah. Let's see what Wander Frank. Let's see what somebody else's top prospect does. <laughs> right. We'll all kind of pay attention to it. And I'll have an update for you on Wednesday night when we do episode 146P or 147 next week on the, the first week of 20-year-old Wander Franco. He'll smash a home run on his first ever major league at bat and make me cry in my soup because Kelnick's down there at AAA. That's, that's how that'll go. All right, remember I told you the story about the couple who decided to chain themselves to one another on Valentine's Day? Long time ago. Yeah, as a yeah. form of experiment to help fix the problem of their recurring breakups. Well, yeah. on June 17th, 2021, they had their chain links cut from their wrists, and the couple decided to... What do you think the couple decided to do? Don't tell me get divorced. Well, they, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, so did they stay oh. together? Did this help or did it not help? What did they decide to do? How long were they chained together? Uh, since Valentine's Day, so it was like 173 days or something like that. What did, What are my choices? What do they, they decide stay, to do? Stay together or, or go their separate ways. That's it. I'll say stay together. They ran in opposite directions, Mitch. <laughs> as fast as they could. <laughs> really? Yeah, the man said as soon as we find you know one plus in a situation, immediately there are two minuses. Vika, his girlfriend, wants to get back to the rhythm of her earlier life. She misses what she used to love to do. And so they are moving on. She wants to live an independent and grow as an independent person. Okay, I see your unchained <laughs> lovers, and I raise you a McDonald's employee getting into a rhubarb with a... With a guest. Okay. Yes. I, I do love those. And McDonald's. You do? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a bunch of them on video or on YouTube. Of- a McDonald's customer unsatisfied with her slushy. Oh. I didn't even know they did slushies. I didn't know that either. I didn't do them when I worked there. No. Years ago. It's just milkshakes when I worked Attacked there. two employees oh, during a profanity-laced tirade that ended only when one fed-up worker fought back. Shocking video shows. <laughs> a three-minute clip posted on Facebook this past oh, Monday God. shows the irate fast food guest storming behind the counter at a Ravenna, Ohio eatery and getting physical after demanding that they make her one of the beverages with all three flavors of the slushie. This is what she was gotcha. mad about. It. She wanted all three flavors, and they refused to do so. Oh, Apparently, are you effing crazy, one of the employees said. And before you know it, we had a full-fledged brawl Jeez. behind the counter in Ohio at McDonald's over a slushie. That's people, again, walking around Earth with their levels and, of peg, dude. And, Don't and, mess and, with people. And I got to tell you, when I read this, yeah. I thought, you know, my Costco thing wasn't so funny. <laughs> That's right. See? There you go. By the way, when I was 20, I saw a fight uh, between a Denny's waitress and a customer. 
Oh, you did. They were rolling on the floor. Hair. Oh, my God. That must have been fun, though. Well, I jumped up and tried to break it up oh, a little you did? bit. Yeah. Why? I was 20, and I was nice back then. Oh. You know, but nowadays, you I would You were ruining the entertainment for everybody else. I, totally. But the manager was Buzz so killed. grateful that he, like, bought my meal, and he was really? like- Really? Like oh, yeah. a Grand Slam? <laughs> That's right. But he bought my $4 meal, which is pretty big when I was 20 years oh, old. But God. Yeah, it's not the first time a customer- I once a, picked up Max Levy at the airport when he flew. I think he flew for the first time at, like, age- 11 or 12. He was coming home from Washington, D.C. Okay. My wife put him on a flight from Washington to Seattle. I picked him up at SeaTac. It's kind of scary, 11, 12. Uh, maybe, maybe he was a little old. Maybe okay. 12 or 13, whatever, whatever it was. It was his first flight by himself. And yeah. we were nervous. Sure, yeah, yeah. Sharon was like, make sure you go to the gate. I'm like, I can't even go. I got to get a special exam. He'll be fine. And, he, and, and I'm texting him when he comes off the plane. He's like, don't come to the gate. I'm fine, whatever. We get in the car and we're driving back on 405. Now, I don't know if you know that that, tri, that drive back on 405. You probably do on 90. There was a Denny's. There used to be a Denny's off to the side no, of the exactly road. Exactly where it is, yeah. It's not there anymore. Yeah. They knocked it down. It was kind of by the Seahawk training center area. He says, yeah, it's exactly right. He yeah, says, yeah. dad, I'm hungry. I said, you want to go to Denny's? It's late at night. Right. Yeah, sure. He's getting off the plane after a six-hour journey. We go to Denny's. We sit at the booth at the counter. He's yeah. never been to a Denny's. What are you having? I'm having the tilapia. <laughs> God, the tilapia of all the things. He ordered the tilapia, and I swear, the waiter or waitress's face was like, "We haven't had anybody order no. the tilapia. <laughs> we actually haven't had anyone order it and live to talk about it either." Dad, I'm having the tilapia. And there were no survivors after oh. that. That's hilarious. Oh, God. Maybe Sherry's wonderful. next time. There's a Sherry's on that same path, well. I think, too. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, the tilapia. God. He's having the tilapia at Denny's. All right. I told you about the woman who said she gave birth to the world's first decuplets, I guess. That's 10. 10 babies. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, I did the story a couple yeah. weeks ago. Like, yeah, yeah. She's now beefing with the baby's father's family, who's claiming she's lying about giving birth to 10 babies. There's a huge soap what? opera going on. Yeah. They're claiming she that didn't she, even have the 10 babies after we gave her all that pub? Yeah. On Mitch Unfiltered? Well, that's what her that's what her exes or her boyfriend's family is saying. They're, okay. There's a whole soap opera going on here. So this guy hasn't seen his girlfriend or the baby since she reportedly gave birth, leading his family to release a statement in which yeah. they said they don't even believe the children exist. So he hasn't, he has 10 kids that he sired allegedly, and he hasn't seen them. It's been like a month. Right. And she's hiding out somewhere. So I'll, don't worry. I'll, I'll keep tabs on this story. We'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of whether she's lying or not. I see your fraudulent mother, <laughs> and I raise you Andy Reid. Okay. Everybody's favorite NFL coach, Andy Reid. Seems like a good Who was guy. at a Kansas City Royals. You could understand that. Kansas City Royals oh, yeah. baseball game the other night. Caught on TV, sitting by himself, okay. wearing the Hawaiian shirt that he would wear with the Chiefs logo. Okay. And he's taking – he doesn't even know he's on camera. It's not like he knows that he's on the TV camera. Mm -hmm. he's, taking, he's taking selfies of himself. Andy Reid is sitting at a Kansas City Royals okay. baseball game, taking selfies of himself. He's not with anybody, sitting in pretty good seats. The announcers are talking about, oh, look who's here. And yeah, yeah. He's taking stuff. They're talking about it. And other announcers. And then the news people were like, at the game tonight, only one problem, Hotshot Scott. Okay. It wasn't Andy Reid. <laughs> really? No. But it fooled everybody? He looked that Every real? Announcers, <laughs> players were asked, talking. It was, you would, it's it's made the rounds. I'm surprised that you haven't yeah, actually seen it. I'm surprised too that yeah, I didn't see that. It's made the rounds. That's hilarious. It was not Andy Reid. But it looks, ex I mean, it's a doppelganger. In it's fact, I think he looks more like Andy Reid than the real Andy Reid. Looks. <laughs> right, looks more yeah. like him. So, did you? That's do what you I got for do you think you have a do? Do you think everyone has a doppelganger? Because that's what they say that there's at least one or two of you out there. I, I told you this this story that the, that 
every once in a while, somebody would say, I look like Calipari. I used to joke about Tom Cruise. I didn't really yeah, like yeah. him. But Calipari. And then, then we interviewed Calipari. He's like, let me see the guy that supposedly looks like me. He came yeah. over. Yeah, we all have somebody that we think we look like. But I think when you stand next to them, right? I once proved it. Everybody, when I was, when I was here in Seattle early on in my career, they thought I looked like Ray Romano. Yeah. And Bob Stelton... Thank God for Bob Stelton, uh, you know, 710 ESPN Radio, Bob Stelton, rock sure. star Bob. Yeah. He and I were doing the show when he worked with us in Vegas at a fight. I, mean, I told you this story. Yeah, yeah. And Ray Romano walked in with like Billy Crystal and whatever. They walked into, a, I think it was Mike Tyson, one of the Evander Holyfield, but I don't know. Okay. And and I, I was like, okay, okay, here's Ray Romano. And I was going to prove because I hated when people told me <laughs> I look like Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Bob, come with me. And I saw where Ray Romano was sitting, and he was sitting on an aisle. Okay, he was okay. sitting on an aisle. And I put, I said, Bob, I want you to, Bob didn't even know what I was talking. I said, Bob, I want you to stand here and watch where I go, and then I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. And I literally went up the aisle, and Ray Romano had no idea that I, I, I kind of I kind of got down at his level, and our faces were right next to each other. Yeah. And I see Bob start to laugh. <laughs> and I come back, and I said, now, be honest. Be honest. Yeah. He says, you don't look anything like him. And that was my, that was my, that's. You were vindicated oh, at that point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th th yeah, there's a similarity, but yeah. But, but if you go face to face, yeah, you don't look. Yeah. Exactly so I don't like know it. if everybody has a dot, what do you call it? A doppelganger. doppelganger. I, guess, yeah. I don't know. Is that a new word or is that a word that's been around for a long time? I think time? it's a German word, maybe. Doppelganger. Yeah. Like a twin. Yeah. Like an exact replica. Right. Like I, I've never seen someone where I went, holy shit, that looks exactly like me. I haven't, Just I haven't seen it, but it may exist. Look at the Andy Reid video from the Kansas City. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's got a Chiefs thing on. Yeah. It's fantastic. Do he look kind of big and bulky? And Just look at it. All right, all right. He, he looked exactly like Andy Reid. All right, gotcha. You'd have no idea. All right, I, I read this headline. It made me laugh, but then I realized it's kind of a sweet story. Yes. A Nebraska man set a new world record by completing 60 skydiving jumps in 24 hours while dressed in nothing but his safety equipment. Oh. Boy. So this guy, his name's Ryan Kanaf. He lives in Omaha. He contacted the Guinness World Records about setting the record for the most naked skydiving jumps in 24 hours. And the group said he could create the new record category. People just create these. like It's not like one existed before. He just created it. But he said it's an informal tradition for skydivers to perform their 100th, 100th jump in the nude. Wow. And then he came up with the idea to get the naked skydiving world record as a fundraiser for a mental Jesus. health charity. After the recent death of a friend. So he was doing it for a good cause, for charity. I like your stunt story a lot better than I like my stunt story. Okay. Because I've got a motorcycle stunt rider dying in Washington State from injuries he sustained while attempting to break a world record motorcycle jump at the Moses Lake Air Show. Do you know the Moses Lake Air Show? I know Moses Lake. He crashed. He was trying to jump the length of a football field. Oh. His name is, let me get the name, Alex Harville, may he rest in peace. Yes. Those guys that do that, it's I, I don't have any of that gene in me, that that daredevil gene. It's incredible. I mean, think about Evil Knievel. The fact that he lived, he like retired from that world. Yeah. But it's just it's insane what what those guys do. They're so, yeah, willing to take they're willing to take the risk. There's such a high from doing this that I they're guess. willing to take the risk. Yeah. Unless they just believe that they are invulnerable that they're that they're that there's no way impenetrable yeah whatever the word is yeah, that yeah. there's nothing going to happen even if they do crash nothing bad's going to happen well yeah you don't you don't hear about that happening very often anymore i mean you, you don't hear about usually they kind of have it figured out they have it dialed in they have better bikes and everything so wow yeah. that's that story rest in peace all right yeah.
Congrats to Usain Bolt, who has newborn twins. Nobody knew that his wife was even pregnant. He has one young daughter named Olympia. Did he know? Well, I, I don't know. Is this the same woman that gave birth <laughs> right. to 10 babies? That's right. So the, the newborn twins are named St. Leo and Thunder. St. Leo and Thunder. Thunderbolt. Oh. Yes, that's right. Thunder, he's really leaning into the whole Bolt oh. thing. And by the way, he's not competing in the Tokyo Olympics as he retired from competing a few years back. At the, he's 34 years old and he's retired. So congrats to Happy him. Happy Amazon Prime Day, Hotshot Scott, this week. That's right. Probably by the time people listen to this, it'll either be Amazon Prime Day or it'll be over. But I don't know if you, you get a kick out of all of the different uh, deals, apparently. I've never bought anything on Amazon Prime Day. But there is supposed to be... And I, I, I don't have much information about it except to tell you that the hottest thing that Amazon has been selling recently okay. are ladies' leggings that apparently do something to the butt that every woman loves. Okay. It does something to the shape of the butt. God. And there's been like hundreds of thousands of purchases. Oh, this is like the, the biggest phenom on Amazon. And it's it's going to be the, the top selling item during Amazon Prime Day. Once I get the little email about something was delivered, I'm, and if, it, if those leggings are on there, I'm just going to forward it to you. <laughs> I, I'm sure they are. I'm sure, there were jeans for a while that, that said uh, that they did the same thing, made the butt look no, better. No, this apparently does. Oh, it, oh, this one actually does. It actually does. It the makes, 7,000 it, pairs of jeans they sold. No, no, no. <laughs> this one actually does. Okay. Every woman who's bought these leggings from yeah. Amazon has sworn by them that they do something to the shape of your rear. Wow. And they are the hottest ticket item that the, that Amazon Prime has. Well, I'm going to hope they have double XL. I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and see what it does for my, my backside. I'll show you next time I come over. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Please. Who doesn't love themselves some Dippin' Dots? Remember we talked about Dippin' yeah, Dots? Yeah, we talked about Dippin' Dots. A delicious frozen treat that adults and kids love. Well, sure. the CEO of Dippin' Dots is being sued by a former girlfriend for a alleged revenge porn. Oh, boy. Not good. The CEO of Dippin' Dots, this kid-friendly, delicious treat is being... Yes. Being, yeah, he's being accused of uh, alleged revenge porn. I think he's people, he's the victim or he's the... No, he's being accused of sending out nude pictures of his oh, girlfriend. His, okay. To her mom as one of them, to all kinds of people. So I'll keep an eye on this story. But yeah, Amanda Brown says in her lawsuit that she was in a relationship with the CEO from 2019 to 2020... She says that relationship was tumultuous, partly because of what she calls his dangerous tendency to abuse alcohol, and he oh wanted to get boy. back at her and oh sent boy. these naked pics to everybody. So, oh boy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not good for don't, him because of the state he lives in, too. This, this is like a felony. Don't young couples, when they get into the relationship that's not a forever relationship or may not be a forever relationship, and they do these videos or they do these snapshots, doesn't it occur to them that when there's a breakup, there's there's a possibility of a lot of embarrassment and shame. Sure. Nobody, before they end up, before they agree to these pictures or take the pictures of themselves and send them out or do the videos, don't they realize that, hey, if this relationship doesn't go to the altar and like end up in a 70-year romance, yeah. um, these pictures and videos could make the rounds. From what I read, it felt like she thought it was going to go the distance. Like okay. they, they were serious, okay. at least in her mind. Okay. I mean, so she, she was going to marry the she CEO had of Dippin' Dots. She had nothing to worry about. Well. Until now. She, she had yeah, till now, exactly. Are Dippin' Dots featured in these videos or in these? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to look at them differently far? now. Again, uh, alleged. It's all alleged for this guy. Yes. We don't know. He's just being accused. Okay, there's a guy that we're trying to get on the radio show. Actually, it's not a radio show. It's a podcast. There's a guy we're trying to get on the podcast that as a result of losing his fantasy league. Yes. I guess 
he was in a fantasy league, and the rule was the the person who finishes dead last has to spend like 24 hours at a Waffle House. Yep. And this has happened now, and and he's chronicled his stay. He's already done it, and we're trying to get him on to talk about that particular fine or penalty for finishing last in a fantasy league. Now, the caveat on that thing is you it's 24 hours, but for every waffle you consume, yes. you shave an hour off your time. So if oh, you I wanted to eat is that 20, true? Yeah. So okay. if you wanted to eat 24 waffles, you could you could leave. But how the hell are you going to eat 24 waffles? Well, right? you got a long time to do it. You yeah, take you a do. break in what, between an hour? each one. Gonna, yeah, so I, I read a little bit about this. I can't wait for it. Are these waffle on. houses open all I guess they're open all night. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't the manager of the Waffle House have something to say about a guy sitting there for the entire 15 or 18 hours? You've been to a Waffle House? I don't think I have. That's the 13th thing they're worried about that <laughs> night. Right? What's the, what are the top 12? God, dude, it's like fights and punching okay. each other. It can get okay. rowdy at, you know, after hours in there. It, yeah. it can get a little nutty. Any place that's open you know, 24 hours after a night of boozing. So how many did he eat? He ate six? No, I think he ate nine. Nine, so he... He got out of there in 15, 15 hours. 15 hours. Yep. 15 hours at a Waffle House. Yeah, and we'll let him tell it if we get it on, but yeah, it, yeah. it didn't end well for him. Oh, really? Oh, like, yeah. Like just, sick to a stomach? Yes, like that, yeah. Well, how bad could a waffle be? Well, syrup and I don't know. Just no, like, you don't have to do the syrup. No one's making him do the syrup. Well, you don't have just to. Just eat but it plain and just... I, I mean, I eat mushrooms. Just I, eat a waffle plain <laughs> every hour. Eat one. Eat two an hour. Two little waffles an hour. Yeah, but they're not little, I don't think. I think they're pretty good size. Okay. It's not egos. All right. Yeah. What, we I go to, my ego? You have to ask him. I don't know. He, okay. didn't, it looked, he looked miserable. Okay. All right. Weird video of Vontez Perfect. Am I saying his first name right? Vontez? Yeah. yeah. He was bawling his eyes out outside of a Las Vegas casino after he was restrained by seven people. Oh, my God. By the way, he seems like the kind of guy that would, oh. it would need seven people, right? I mean, yes. he's a maniac. Mean, mean fellow. <laughs> and the whole thing was captured on police video. The story was wild. Cops say Burfecht and a friend snapped on guards because they were allegedly irate while on the hunt for the secret pizza restaurant inside the famed Vegas hotel. I don't know what, what that means. Yeah, but he's been a troubled guy. I, I, yeah. you know, I hesitate to talk a lot about him. Okay. But my God. That guy's been in trouble. That guy was in trouble in college. That guy was in trouble in the NFL. Cheap shot guy, late hit guy, always suspended guy. Mean. Not even drafted. Like mean guy. Yeah, because and he was great. He and he was been, good. Yeah. He could have been really, really great if he could have gotten his act together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a sad story. He played eight yeah. years, but just, yeah. God. Something, there's something going on there, isn't oh. there? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe plural. Some things going yeah. on there. All right, I got one final one. Oh, you do? Yeah. You ready for one more? Sure. New company seeks to change the image of being overweight in Japanese society. One of the more unusual industries to appear in Japan in recent years is the rent-a-person business. Oh. There were the rent-a-middle-aged dude and rent-a-sister services, and now comes a new innovation, a company that will let you rent a, quote, fat person. Now, I should point out that fat designation comes from the company itself. That's not my word for it, which is called Duba, uh, Debukari from the Japanese words Debu for fat, Kairu for rent. Why exactly are we renting fat people if we're in Japan? I'm so happy you asked that. Yes. There are some reasons that people might want to rent an overweight person. Yes. I, help eat, I want help eating a crazy big portion menu item at a restaurant. I want help picking out a present for someone I know who's heavy set. I'm doing cosplay and want someone to dress as a heavyset character from the series. Do you want me to keep going? The, the best is, I want someone to play on a seesaw with me. <laughs> I have a problem that I want advice from a heavyset person about. 
There's all kinds of reasons why somebody would want to rent a heavy set person. Isn't the playing on the seesaw with a heavy set person a very short seesaw ride? It just it's, you're just at the top the whole time. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun, does no, it? Yeah, no. they got to over. They, but, they gotta re- but but when you go to the top. You might get thrown off of there. That's right. You better hold on for dear life, right? Yeah. And the, the one last one is I want someone to stand by me when I take a picture so I'll look thinner. Now, this company charges 2,000 yen. <laughs> I actually like that. Yeah, right. This company charges 2,000 yen. It's about yes. $20 an hour for non-business use rentals with the entire fee being paid to the heavy set person. Okay. Now, it turns out they tried the same thing in the U.S., but it didn't work out because the market's oversaturated. <laughs> this sounds like a pretty... This, to me, sounds like a pretty easy gig for an overweight person. You know, a, a real piece of cake. <laughs> you know, I think I've actually been to oh a place. God, shot. I think I've actually been to a place where God, they train. We're at softball games today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I actually think I've been to a place where they train overweight people how to properly socialize and perform odd jobs to help people out. Actually, never mind. That was just Walmart. And, oh, and finally. Taking a shot at Walmart. <laughs> What did Walmart do to get thrown under the bus? And finally, I got one more here. Yeah. I really hope I don't find out that after all this time, my wife is renting me from Japan. (laughs) (laughs) That would hurt. Oh, that may be the best line of the year. Very, very good. All right. Any last parting words? Uh, No, I just got... Episode 146? I just got a text that we don't have Piper's softball bag. So now I get to go chase that down. That's going to be awesome. That's my life right now. Where the hell? What'd she do? Give it away after she had the, the, the two-run hit? She decided to sign the items <laughs> off and hand it, hand it to the crowd? This is my life. This right. is my life right here. Well, do me a favor. As you're running around looking for her softball bat, just do me a favor. If you happen to bump into, unexpectedly, the woman that was in front of me at Costco, <laughs> yes. tell her I heartily apologize. I was wrong. I was only kidding the whole time. And I'm going to watch my P's and Q's so I don't piss off any listeners or anybody else. That's a little late very... for that. It's a little late. No, it's get... not. Never too late. Oh, never too late. Okay. Never too late. All right. Never too late. This is no, the, I'm sorry. The, the new I'm sorry and improved that, Mitch Levy. Well, I, I didn't realize that I had offended so many people, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry about that. You can hear my phone ringing. I hear stop. it ringing. Yeah, yeah, you know just, what? It's a podcast. Yeah. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah. yeah. All right. Misty's barking in the background. That's it. <laughs> Episode. You go find the back. Right. Episode 146. Hope you enjoyed it. Hey, listen to those three guests. They're really good. Uh, is in the books.